You're listening to an FTCR podcast, you boob. Hello, everyone. I am FTA. I'm T Bay. I'm Jono. Welcome back to a, another episode of Sonic Says. We've been teasing this for a long time, and we're just going to get right into it. We have the Bumble King himself, Mr. Ian Flynn, with us. Ian, how are you doing today? Good, sir. Call the police. They have me in the basement. I can't move. Help. Help. You know, it's kind of ironic to say that because we're currently in my basement recording this. So if you were with us, you would have been in the basement anyway. Well, there we go. That kind of defeats the purpose of the joke. (laughs) Yeah, but that doesn't mean Gareth doesn't have us captives. (laughs) I mean, if it was a nicer basement... Like what you guys do in your spare time is your own business. <laughs> Hi there, everyone. This is Ian Flynn, the Bumble King, and welcome to another episode of Not the Bumblecast. You guys are going to ask me stuff. Um, and Ian, as I, as I said before we recorded, just to get this out, out the way for everyone, Ian, please give us your, your standard Bumblecast explanation of the current situation of the Sonic books. <laughs> okay, hit report. Hit play on this again. <laughs> the official word is that Archie and Sega of Japan are in talks about the future of the comic. That is all I really know. That's all I can talk about. Mm. I suspect that we should have some kind of news maybe around this time next week. But... Again, it's nothing I can say with any kind of certainty or with any kind of in-depth knowledge. Mm. They're talking. Things are going on well above my head. We're all in the same boat, folks. We just got to weather the storm together. Gotcha. So I think what Ian's trying to say there is that Marvel's got the license and we can expect Sonic to be in Avengers 4. Yeah, Sonic, man. Uh, I mean, why do you think they introduced Howard the Duck? (laughs) (laughs) It's to introduce the idea of animal characters. So eventually, Sonic's just going to be folded into the entire thing. Rocket Raccoon's going to replace Tails. It's going to be really interesting. They're just going to paint Howard the Duck blue, and they won't have to worry about making absolutely, new absolutely no introduction. Just we'll just we'll just go into Infinity War, and Sonic will, Sonic will just be like, "Yeah, let's do this." <laughs> um, uh, Boom Knuckles becomes the standard, and all he says is, "I am Groot," and that's how it goes from here on out. <laughs> you know, when you said Boom Knuckles, my first thought was Boom Knuckles could be Drax, and I would not have a problem with that. I get, yeah. I can see Dave Bautista, Dave Bautista playing live action Knuckles. <laughs> So instead of instead of interviewing, we're just going to recast the Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> with Sonic characters. <laughs> There's nothing fanficy about that at all. Yeah. Welcome um, to fanfic cast. So um, there, there's so many so many different topics, so many different books. Um, uh, Jonathan, why don't you pick the first area we we speak of? Okay, I'll spin the wheel. Uh, let's start with. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> that was the only thing written on the wheel. Literally. That was the only thing written on the wheel. It was like mostly Sonic you and then to, Sonic Universe in a little, little had, tiny. You had to pretend to read something else, but then you just still read the wheel. It actually, it actually landed on Jughead, but then I moved it up. <laughs> um. Okay. So. So, so, Ian, I guess one thing that is obviously the um, 
the thing that just ended was the the kind of big kind of uh, unleashed adaptation, the, the world adventure uh, or the world breaking apart arc, rather mm. I should say. Um, so I, I guess what um as as it came to a close in retrospect, how how did you, the writer, feel that that went? Uh, um, because you know that was probably the most ambitious storyline the Archie book has ever ever tried to accomplish. Because I think it lasted. If we if if we take away. Um, World Unites from the equation I think it was at least a good two years worth of story yeah, of, of content yeah it was really long like expansive epic buzzword <laughs> buzzword <laughs> I don't know I'm hindsight's twenty twenty, mm. and I'm always going to look back at what I've done and say I could have done it a little differently I think I mean, the whole reason why we used the Unleashed storyline as a backdrop was this is when the reboot had just fallen on us. Um, Worlds Collide gave us a nice breather to do something fun and plot that out. But when we were going into the new continuity, it's like, how do we address a whole new world with a whole new set of lore, new locations, new status quo? How do we even address that? And do it in a way that doesn't feel like a giant dialogue dump and felt like it was organic. And at the same time, we wanted to move the book in a more game-focused direction, which is where I was going with it anyway. But this kind of forced my hand to accelerate those plans. So when I was uh, hashing things out with then-editor Paul Kaminsky, we eventually settled on the idea of using Unleashed as the backdrop because that's a world-spanning adventure. You have the looming mega threat of the planet being broken into pieces, but it also gives you these little vignettes built into it. Each region has its own story. Each location gives us an opportunity to visit new freedom fighter teams, introduce a new egg boss, uh, explore a new culture. And in retrospect, maybe it would have been better to get through Unleashed a lot faster and save the world building as a kind of world tour. Okay, we fixed the planet. Now let's go explore it. Uh, one of the problems we ran into is that uh, getting Chip to show up at all was a bit of a hassle because in Sega's mind, Unleashed had already happened. Oh, really? And oh. the idea that we were adapting the story and kind of retelling it in a different way didn't translate i guess so you know we had notes coming back with no the guy temples are already underground chip is already asleep why is he back and it's like because it, it's different it's not what you have okay <laughs> never mind we'll just we'll just roll with it so so does that mean that uh sega of japan uh sees the comic book as existing during the same timeline as the current games not to pull back the curtain too far, you know, because I don't want to bite the hand that feeds or use any other idioms in rapid succession. But uh, the relationship between RG Comics, Sega of America, and Sega Japan is an interesting one. And there is, you never, I'm never quite sure who is reviewing the script where and when because sometimes the process changes. Sometimes those who are looking over the scripts change because it's a corporate environment. You know, there can be high turnover. 
So it's I, I never work directly with Sega on the Archie mm-hmm. books. That always goes through my editor, who sends it to them, and I always kind of get everything second or third hand. So it's kind of an issue by issue, month by month, year by year sort of thing, okay. where something that works, you know, before is suddenly not quite as acceptable, and then sometimes what would never get by gets by without any hesitation. So. Such is the nature of a licensed look. Mm. Well, speaking of things that um, things that you didn't think would get by, is there is there an example of that you can think of? Oh, there are tons, and it's been so long since I've actually had to mm. work on it. There was one that I thought we could get away with bringing Methylus back. Okay. Hmm. Uh, because he is a time traveler, I figured we could do the whole timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly thing and just explain him coming back as a somewhat depowered villain for Shadow. And hmm. I was going to have him resurrect Black Doom, and it was going to be this big revenge plot. And Sega Japan came back with, no, he's dead. <laughs> I was like, well, I can't really argue with that, because you're right. Yeah. So... <laughs> That forced us to completely revise our plans, and that's how we came up with Eclipse the Darkling. Okay. Which, honestly, is a better idea than the initial one. But when we were crafting him, it was like, are they going to let us bring back the Black Arms at all in any capacity? Yeah. You know, getting into kind of the lore of these aliens that were one-and-done monsters, are they going to let us do any of this? And I don't think we got any notes, really. Aside from maybe some tweaks on, um, what was his name? Black Dyer? Uh, yeah, I think so. Black uh, I think we had to tweak no, his design Black to look Black. less like Black Doom, but other than that, we kind of got away with murder on that one. I'm surprised because, like, the, the Black Arms, I think, is possibly the stupidest thing to come out of the Sonic franchise. So <laughs> I would have I, I thought Seiko Japan, like, Let's just sweep that under the rug and <laughs> pretend it never happened, please. I mean, it, I'm I, always entertained with how the comic seems to come up with all these nutty ideas, and then the game seems to unintentionally mirror it later on. You know, <laughs> evil aliens, we had the Zorda first, then the yeah. Black Arm show up. Friendly aliens, they had the Bim, then the Wisps show up. Evil wizards, there was Nagus, and then we get Merlina and all that stuff in Black Knight. It's... It's interesting that way. So I'm hoping that after Forces, or in Forces, we get an evil green Sonic. Then Scourge can come back in the comic books. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be able to make a hedgehog of some kind, so... (laughs) The old Google game, your name, the hedgehog, is going to become canon. Oh, God, I hate that game. Um, Gene, I want to say, because I I think I said this to you in the past, but I'm I'm still kind of um, amazed that Sega approved... You have an Eggman just flat out trying to murder Doctor Light and worlds collide, because like Eggman, at least, at least in, in the games, I mean, I think in SA two he does point a gun at Amy's head, but at least in the last few years they've kind of played him far more like goofy than just flat out murderous. And so like, I, I, I love that moment, but like, it, it still I mean, kind of shocks me that they were, they approve that. The one thing that bugs me is when folks say, "Oh, game Eggman is not nearly as evil as comic Eggman." are forgetting the fact that he stuffed Sonic into a canister, launched him into space, and then tried to blow him up. Yeah. yeah. He blew up the planet to build a theme park. (laughs) 
He enslaved an entire race of aliens to suck the life force out of them and turn them into little ghouly things to power a theme park. Yep. Cut his story. He's an insidious just let him build the theme park. I just, just <laughs> let him do it. Then maybe he won't try to kill anybody anymore. Well, see, that's what I'll get, because in Shell the Hedgehog, he already has a theme park. Why does he... You already have one. Just be happy with that one. That's the small one. That's the <laughs> Nobody's going to go to that one. That's his personal one. I mean, nobody's going to... I'm not going to let you into my bathroom. Well, no, I want to make it the grandest public bathroom ever. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Eggman's... bathroom the theme park, so it's slightly creepy. <laughs> Maybe he's just like Willy Wonka. Like, he just wants to make, like, the world's greatest theme park. And if we just let him do it, then he wouldn't bother well, Sonic and his see, friends anymore. I think we let him we let him do Casinoopolis. And then he was like, well, I can just do more, right? And we're like, nah, that's okay. <laughs> Carnival <laughs> Night Zone is very important. <laughs> <laughs> it's strategically important. I was thought it was also the problem with once you enter, you can't leave. The ride never ends. Yeah. But if it's... You're going to enjoy it for the rest of your life, and that should be, oh, 30 minutes. So Eggman built Hotel California. Good to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, because we, we were, um a while back, we were replaying SA1, and we realized that at the at the end of that game, Eggman, Eggman basically has a, a two-part plan. Destroy Station Square, build Robotnik Land. At the end of SA1, Station Square is destroyed. The half his plan's complete. Well, then you just make Egg Robotnik Land then and there. Probably because both egg carriers got shot down and nobody was really going to give him a building permit. <laughs> I'm sure he probably had a third one as well. Like he built a second one for no good reason. Also, that, that's another example of Eggman being absolutely, insanely, violently evil is when he loses initially. He launches a missile. Just a straight up missile to nuke Station Square. Yeah. It's a dud. So he decides to personally fly there and detonate the warhead by hand, and Tails has to race him through the city to stop him. Oh, that's insane, and I love it. But no, it's not a game; it's just for kids, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that reminds me. Speaking of Sonic Adventure, in the beginning of uh, the reboot, when they do the whole Station Square rescue, um, Antoine and Bunny, I think are speaking and they're like, hey, I remember being here before and doing something very similar, but I also remember not doing it. Which I think implies that um, Sonic Adventure is now strictly game. But, so I guess what my question is, in, uh, in the part one of Genesis of Hero, you incorporate the Freedom Fighters kind of into that. So I guess my question is, how involved in the games are the Freedom Fighters? Is it like the games are strictly the games, or is it that, or is it like on a game to game basis, or is that just like whatever you feel? Uh, it was more of a game to game basis, mm-hmm. and I really would have loved the opportunity to you know go game by game and say here's how we would have done it, but. Yeah. More or less, my thinking was the Freedom Fighters are kind of a collective unit of friends that Sonic fairly regularly adventures with, but they are not what he always sees and always hangs out with. Yeah. And that um, the reference in the issue you're citing was the last 
vestiges of the lingering memory subplot that I hated so much. <laughs> and was just more of a continuity footnote. Yeah. But in my mind, uh, Sonic Adventure in the new continuity more or less played out as the game did. So, cause that already has a fairly large cast and yeah. the freedom fighters really wouldn't add much to it. So they were somewhere else in the world doing their thing. Okay. So I would imagine Sonic Adventure two was kind of along the same lines. Sonic heroes, maybe a little different shadow of the hedgehog. I would imagine they're more involved, but that's cause that's a whole worldwide invasion. It wouldn't yeah. make sense for them not to be involved. I was going to ask, cause, so if, if you guys ever get around to doing Heroes then, would there be like six new teams split up with different Freedom Fighters? Oh, there? God. Uh, no. no. <laughs> it, what I would love to do is get my hands on the Heroes storyline adaptation and streamline it. Because mm. one of my favorite things is the subtle way the Chaotix play into the subplot and how Eggman is basically directing them to undermine Neo Metal Sonic's plan, including obliterating shadow clones as fast as they can so he doesn't have them. And collecting crabs, a very important part of his plan. Well, yeah, yeah, the crabs, of course, but... <laughs> speaking of... um. Speaking of the, to the about the topic, you, you said about how you had um, you and the previous editor had decided to use Unleashed as a basis for the new world. So say... um. Say uh, the the reboot uh, hadn't happened at that point, would like what was an unleashed adaptation in in the cards for you, or, or did it only come about because of you felt you could use it as a kind of way to explore the new world? I was going to get to it um, in a much different fashion, hmm. and I will be touching upon that with Lost Hedgehog Tales when that eventually is able to come out. Okay, um, but we were gonna. The long-term plans that I had pre-reboot had the introduction of the Werehog in a very, very different sort of way. Hmm. I think a very Archie Sonic sort of way. <laughs> and I don't know. It, it, might, it would have been interesting to see where that one went. So what you're saying is Sonic gets thrown into a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're doing. I see. So um, the, 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 the stick with the Unleashed adaptation in a while, because, I mean, um, the the... The, the, you know, I think the, the basic plot kind of doesn't really. I mean, aside from the you know the the uh, the walls broken apart and the guy temples and getting the uh, emeralds and keys and things, but I think one of the biggest departures um, from the game is the fact that when Sonic's the Werehog, you know, there's you know the first few arcs where he needs to learn control and, and mm. you know, the, the kind of rage overtakes him. Was there any pushback from Sega on that because it kind of deviated like like a, a fair bit from what was established in the games? No, actually, they had no notes on that whatsoever. Huh. Okay. I think Marty, I think part of it might have been that when we submitted that storyline for approval, we did the whole arc all in one go and not just individual issues. Oh, gotcha. So that they saw from the beginning, the idea was that Sonic overcomes the challenges of the infection or corruption or however you want to phrase it, and results in his normal heroic self. So mm. that probably... If there were any concerns, paved them over. But no, they were perfectly fine with how we portrayed the Werehog. Okay, and also, what, like, so um, when you when you kind of decide to adapt um, other games, because I think I think one of I think collectively one of our favorite arcs in the reboot and just in general was was Champions. Um, oh yeah, because it's that's just that's just four issues of just of just fun. 
But I mean, so, but like, what, so was that like, who, who decides to kind of put a game adaptation within a bigger game adaptation? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, for me, because Sonic the Fighters is so loose continuity anyway. I mean, trying to find the actual continuity thread between the games is like looking for a needle in a hedgehog stack. But yeah. um, for me, Sonic the Fighters is so out there in terms of story. You know, there's eight Chaos Emeralds, and they have to fight each other to get them to power a rocket ship to fight the Death Egg 2. No, 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 no. To fight that's Dr. Robotonic. Like, that's just saying something. Sorry? I was just saying that the fight, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite spinner mistakes in game history, the evil threat of Dr. Robotonic. Eight <laughs> years, what ails you? <laughs> Big old bottle of Robotonic. It's disgusting, but it works. Um, Here's the mumps, so your gout. If it's an innocuous storyline, it would be a fun place to plug it in and just have some fun with the characters. Yeah, because I mean, I think because um, when we we've uh, kind of talked about it in the past, I mean, if you if you removed the um, the kind of werehog aspect, I mean, in certain regards, it kind of to me, it kind of more feels like a, a kind of universe arc, just kind of this little like a nice, fun, yeah. self-contained story. But I mean, again, this that is just one of the most the most fun arcs I think I've ever read oh, yeah. in the entire oh, book. Yeah. Now, um, you also, with the reboot, you had to uh, reinvent a lot of characters. So, my question is, personally, what characters or ideas do you feel um, came together the best in your reinvention of them? Um, uh, we already cited him, but I think Eclipse came together remarkably well. Uh, we put a lot of effort into his characterization, his motivation, and his design, because the evil alien sort of brother to Shadow is about as fan thicky as you can get in terms <laughs> of characters, and if we did it wrong... <laughs> It, it would not have been easily forgiven, but Eclipse <laughs> was readily embraced, and I think that is a testament to how much effort we put into making him work. Okay. Mm. Uh, I think Relic worked really well as a foil to Knuckles and a way to expand his world. Uh, I think a lot of the Maropus subplot, which was mostly brainstormed and penned by Aaliyah Baker, but oh, I helped. Really? Um, <laughs> I, I think that was an, a fun way of giving the world a larger, richer sense of lore without stepping on Sonic's toes. Now, and surprisingly divisive, I think Breezy worked out rather well. Oh, Breezy's great. Although I, I I've received Breezy, yeah. a surprising amount of angry emails about her. Really? Oh, people are incensed that her characterization is wrong. Was it just because she's she's not clearly a robot or not even why is a robot? It, or? It's like, like, Ian, really, I love Breezy, but why why didn't you shoehorn in Robotnik Jr. and get them married <laughs> after one issue, Ian? You failed, man. Come on. That's another thing that really cracks me up is people go, well, why didn't you make her a robot? And it's like, Breezy is shown in her brief time clearly as a manipulator. Yeah. So that commercial on her network about her origin story. You just bought it hook, line, and sinker? Okay. <laughs> All right, take it wholesale. That's that's fine. That's exactly what she wants you to do. 
Which, you know what, I have to say, to go back to my previous point, I also love the fact that you put an adaptation of a game within an adaptation, within an adaptation, you put, like, you put the Sonic 2 Game Gear. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> like, you Inception crazy man. Like, what are you doing with this? <laughs> oh. See, in my mind, because everyone, one of the things that folks were critical of in the reboot was having the Unleashed art go for so long, and as I've tried to explain, it wasn't a straight adaptation. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like the old Archie books where you get a special or you get a miniseries that was dedicated to just the game. This is Sonic's world. All of the games are his life events. It's an organic thing, and I guess Champions is a good way of showing that it's not just here's the game adaptation. It's here are the events that you recognize from the games, but they are all part of Sonic's world. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I almost I almost view it as like an adaptation in like two kind of halves. Because I mean, I know there is the backdrop of there would be a broken apart in, in Unleashed, but I almost view like the first kind of four acts or so, just really about setting up the re-establishing the characters, and then it kind of more goes into a kind of slightly more direct adaptation after that. I yeah. would probably say after Champions is when I would probably view it as like, this is kind of, in my mind, where the actual Unleashed story kind of starts, from, you know, from, from that point onward. Sure. And part of that, too, was I was listening to reader feedback, and they were saying this is starting to drag a bit, so I accelerated it to wrap it up. Okay. Um, something we also want to um, touch upon is is uh, World Unite. Um, no, I think I, I, can't, I can't remember if if you've if this has been officially confirmed or not. So if it hasn't, um, I can just remove this question and edit in. But um, kind of just because the fact that you were, as we said, in the middle of this kind of reestablishing the, the the Sonic uh, universe, it, it kind of um, kind of reeks a little bit of Archie saying, "Do do do another crossover." Type of thing, rather than rather than being something that you had planned for from the beginning of, of the reboot. Right. Well, I didn't plan for either of the crossovers. Um, Worlds Collide fell in our lap. Mm. That was <laughs> Capcom who actually broached the idea. They said, "You've got both franchises. Wouldn't a crossover be cool?" And we said, "Yeah, um, if Sega lets us." And Sega said, "Yeah, sure, go for it." And we're like. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I had an immense amount of fun with that one. Uh, Worlds Unite was an attempt, I think, to capitalize on the residual hype from Collide and go nuts with it because we had just gotten the X franchise. Hmm. So um, we just launched the Boom franchise book, too. So there were a lot of toys to play with. Uh, Wasn't my call when to use it, but... That's, you know, because I'm not the editor and I don't own the licenses, I'm just the writer. So that's one of the things that you have to deal with when you are a freelance writer for somebody else's property is when the folks who own and direct everything say, we want to do this, you say, okay, and you make it as you make it work as best as you can. Now, I want to, oh, well, on that note, I'm wondering, like, would you... Would you describe your situation in, in, in that sense? Do you feel like you have enough freedom when it comes to writing the book, like without the constraints of the companies and whatnot? Because because I, I think in the past you've um, said that uh, murder in Team Dark was kind of a um, kind of not forced, but it was kind of it was wasn't it added by the editor who said there needed to be more 
stakes in the beginning? Yeah, let, let's take that uh, backwards. Uh, with the Team Dark Death Sheet, uh, then editor Paul Kaminsky said, we needed to raise the stakes. And I said, we're merging two worlds. This You have Sigma threatening to destroy all reality. Those are pretty high stakes. He says, no, 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 we need something more personal. We need to kill somebody off. I'm like, but you know that we're going to reboot this at the end like we did last time so that it's continuity light. It's going to be a death cheat. And I hate death cheats in comics or in any media, really, unless it's constructed in a way that benefits the story. If it's just for shock value, I hate that kind of attention grab. I mean, that's one of your rules, right? Yeah, if I'm if I want to kill somebody, I want it to mean something. In a comic, in a comic, I should specify. <laughs> <laughs> in real life, Ian kills about remorse. <laughs> anyway, so I chose Shadow and Team Dark because anyone who knows how the comic goes knows that Seg would never let us kill off Shadow of all characters. <laughs> so they would know from the get-go, okay, obviously they're coming back. This They wouldn't have been tricked into the death cheat. <laughs> Folks who couldn't see it coming from a mile away, okay, they got the, the death cheats in there, fine, you get the shock value. But I tried to telegraph it as much as I could without making it, you know, too concrete and cheap. I don't know. That That's my personal beef. So, so uh, what, uh, I'm sorry, Andy, just to go from that. So in, in like a earlier version of your idea for World Unite, did Team Dark factor in? in, in no, just because the cast was so big. Okay. Uh, uh, one of the things that when we did Worlds Collide, a lot of fans were saying, well, where are the Freedom Fighters? Yeah. Why aren't they involved? And it's like, well, the cast is already pretty huge, and I wanted it to be more new reader accessible. So they know Sonic, they know Mega Man. Freedom Fighters are still kind of a fringe thing within the franchise. With Worlds Unite, I figured, okay, well, we did it one way with the first crossover. I'll throw everybody a bone with the second one, and here's the Freedom Fighters, which I think ultimately was a mistake, but I try to make people happy. That's what I do. <laughs> well, man, Going back to the broader question, no, I really don't feel restricted by... Um, Sega or Capcom or any of them. Uh, I know there are lists out there of the mandates, these horrible rules that we must serve under our draconian masters, but <laughs> they're, they're guidelines that should be fairly common sense anyway. And when you think about how much I have done with the book over the past 10 years, I've really had a ton of creative freedom. So, yeah, if... Sega comes down and says, we don't want you to do that, or you can't access this or whatever. It's disappointing. But, like, again, in the Eclipse situation, it came out as something better. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't really feel restrained or anything. Uh, talking about about kind of uh, feedback from, from Sega, and, you know, to, to quickly sidestep to the, the Sonic Boom book, because obviously that was more of a... Apart from the the American branch of, of Sega, what was the kind of feedback from Sega like on that particular book? I don't really remember a lot of feedback on that, and I'm not sure who had to look at it because I know the TV show producer Bill Freeberger was involved to some degree, and I'm honestly not sure which branch of the many-headed Hydra that is Sonic. <laughs> was looking at that particular project, but since it was such a goofy continuity-like book anyway, it was pretty much pitch a 
gag for a comic, go. Did um so while working on the the Sonic comic, um was that or on the Sonic Boom comic, was that um did you did you make a connection there with Bill Freiberger? Because you you went on to write two episodes of this season of Sonic Boom. Was yeah, that your... dude, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, uh, Bill Freiberger got involved by writing an issue or two, and I think his son Sam did one. Yes, I, yeah. I believe uh, his, his son wrote the last, last one? issue. Yeah, the last issue. Okay, it's been a bit since I looked at the book, <laughs> and then. While that was in production, I was working on Worlds Unite, and Paul showed my, you know, plotting and scripting of that to Bill, and Bill said, holy crap, <laughs> look what this guy can do. So he offered me the opportunity to pitch a few stories, oh, cool. and I, of course, jumped at the opportunity, and I've never written for TV before, so it was a huge learning curve, because hmm. writing for TV is very different than comics, and yet, at the same time, it's very similar, so... I don't know. I, I think the two episodes came together really well. I think anything you can do, I can do worse, or was the better of the two overall. I, that, that, I, that, that I, I love that episode. It's great. Episodes of oh, the, the entire franchise. So it's so fun. Again, I, think, I think I tweeted this, Steve, but one thing that one thing that kind of it didn't take me out, but they they repeatedly reused the Dracula theme from the ninth to the thirties movie. I'm like, I'm like, why why is this playing when they're when they're like ice skating for? I don't understand what's going on. It's like did they, they, they like aim right the vampires into this story or something? Although another little claim to fame I have is the Augman out, which is me again mining nuanced continuity and turning yeah. it into something. Og has actually shown up in more than just his one episode. He had a small cameo in the four-parter. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Robert he actually Stratt. showed up in some promotional posters. So, hot diggity. I have <laughs> made my mark upon Sonic Boom. Well, Ian, I think, I think one of my favorite things, and I forget exactly which of your two episodes, I think it may have been anything you can do, I can do worse, but you have Tails reference Zoe. Yeah. And I was like, continuity yeah. in Sonic Boom. This is a good, I, I think it... it when the show first began, they they announced as like no continuity, it's like everything resets. But I think they've slowly started, you know, referencing previous things. It's like, oh, Zoe still exists. He didn't just dump tails after that episode. <laughs> it's like everyone would assume would happen. Well, I, the, that's not just me. There was the one episode where they go up into the mountains to find a temple of the ancients, <laughs> and Tails is writing letters back to Zoe specifically. Oh, and that's one of my favorite gags out of this entire season is, you know, they've only been gone for maybe an hour. <laughs> day three, the snow is getting deeper. <laughs> I'm beginning to forget what home looks like. And then there's a small avalanche and his all his letters get ruined. And he's like, oh, man, now i got to start it over. Day one, we've just started out on our track. <laughs> that's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> so in, in, in terms of, of writing for the... um. Writing for the show was was it a thing where um, so I would imagine you, you, you pitched a bunch of ideas, the two were selected, and then did you do like how many how many drafts, and then was anything was everything you wrote used, or was there some rewriting by the actual staff writers afterwards? Uh, I did a number of pass general passes. I wrote the first draft, and then the in-house folks did the revisions for the final draft. Mm, okay. So I kind of sent my baby off to see and didn't hear or see anything of it until it aired on TV. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a nail biter. It's like, oh, I hope this joke got in. Oh, I hope this plot point stayed in there. And 
Honestly, they didn't really tweak a whole lot of anything. Oh, just maybe streamlined a little bit because, again, this is the first time I've ever written for TV. It, mm-hmm. it needed some polishing. <laughs> and, oh, God, it turned out so great. Again, you know, a lot of fun. I, I, I haven't... I'm not sure if Evan Stanley's episode has aired yet. I don't think so. I don't think um, so. But I, I know that Cindy Robinson, writer of Amy, also wrote one of I think one of the better episodes. Yeah, it's just season give two is just kind of, chance. Give me, give me, I think season two is just you know guest franchise writer season <laughs> for the show. <laughs> um, going back to Worlds Unite, um, kind of. Because it, it it made me think of a question. So you've also worked on turtles. Um, you've you've done a, a couple, uh, a couple issues of the, is it TMNT Adventures? New I amazing think, adventures. Amazing yeah. adventures. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, not that this has any way of happening, but I, IDW does do a lot of crossovers and. Turtles just did a crossover, two crossovers with Batman. Yep. Do you have in your back pocket a Sonic Turtles crossover? <laughs> Not yet, but. <laughs> um, Very good phrasing. I never expected to get a Sonic Mega Man crossover. Yeah. And the initial pitch for Worlds Collide was something I just did for fun for myself. Mm. So when it came out of the blue, har har. <laughs> uh, and the editor said, do you think you can tackle this? I actually had the pitch ready to go <laughs> with uh, a cross title thing like Turtles and Sonic being two publishing houses yeah. plus two different licensors. It would be more up to Nickelodeon and Sega Japan to mm. make that work. Mm. And then you'd have the publishers have to work it out. So that seems like it would be a little more difficult to achieve. But I didn't think we'd ever get Sonic and Mega Man, so I can't ever say it would not happen. Yeah, I, I honestly think after after Batman and Ninja Turtles, I I'm open to anything. Yeah, if something <laughs> that stupid can work. Then I'm all, I'm all down for that. Um, Why is it stupid? You've got animal themed heroes <laughs> that are faux ninjas running around metropolitan areas, beating up other faux ninjas in the dark. It's the same premise. It's just one's a billionaire and the other guy's living in the sewer. I would I would track my statement. Um, go, going back to, um, would, would you know, one thing, one thing that I wanted to, um, bring up was, and again, I, I think, I think I've said this to you in, in the, in the past, but again, going back to something we talked about earlier about getting things kind of approved, the, in the, um, in the battle books where you show, uh, Mega Man, um, l- losing his fight to the, uh, the, I forget exactly which three he fights, but the, uh, Deadly Six, but just that one panel, Right before he just shoots his face off, mm-hmm. he's just like you're an, you're an evil man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the one of the things I wanted to play with the Deadly Six, and I think they their inclusion might have been a bit much too come to, in the mm-hmm. long scheme of things. But mm-hmm. see, what I originally wanted to do is, you know, with the first crossover, it was Eggman and Wily, very clear cut. So with the second one, I wanted to be the new villains, Sigma and the Deadly Six. And then Eggman and Wily were the unintentional heroes of the arc. And hmm. that didn't really come through in the end. The Deadly Six were kind of just there, and Xander Payne stole the limelight. But um, yeah. I do like Xander Payne. The point, is, the point is, the Deadly Six had the ability to control robots. They are mean people, or SETI, whatever. 
Mega Man is a robot. That right there spells disaster from the get-go, and I didn't want to pull any punches. <laughs> or, or, or shot to the face. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was, it, was it a plot point? Because I was actually just rereading um, Wolge and I earlier um, this morning. Was it a plot point that you gave... Um, I think that in issue one, when Zygma has Wily and Eggman make those kind of um, those kind of like vests that make them stronger. Was that yeah. was that just so you could justify Sonic losing to the weakest bosses the franchise has ever seen? <laughs> In part. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look at Lost World, the Zeddy themselves are not overly powerful in their own right. It's only after they betray Eggman and take over the world siphon device that they start to get the crazy laser powers and the superpowers and whatnot. So in this approach, they wouldn't have access to that kind of power. So to make them that overwhelming threat, I had, you know, Sigma give them those power up this. I, I always uh, think though in, in the game, I think there's that cutscene where Zaz says, you know, we get, we get, we, like we keep getting stronger. And sometimes like, yeah, I've noticed, but as I play, I'm like, not really. You still die in two hits. <laughs> you know, he's, Bosses are pretty terrible. Uh, fun thing about those vests, though, is that that was one of the few things we got notes on from Sega. Because oh, okay. initially, I wanted all their vests to be themed around the boss fights they had in Lost World. Oh, nice. And Dan Schoening, who did the art for about, we'll say, half of the first act, hmm. took my really, really bad sketches <laughs> and made them work. And... Sega came back with, they, I can't remember exactly the reasoning. I think it was that it was obscuring them too much. It made them look too much not like the Deadly Six. Okay. So they suggested the vests, and I believe they specifically cited Saiyan battle armor. (laughs) Which really is brilliant, because it's very iconic. It's very streamlined. It looks cool, but it doesn't obscure the character's silhouette. So Dan did the second pass, and that was what uh, we got in the final issue. It it also wouldn't be the first time, you know, Sega have just stolen from Dragon Ball Z for their designs. <laughs> you know, I, I think isn't it in the in the official like documents for um O six? They just say Silver is like trunks. They just flat yeah. out just say he's yeah. like he's like this character from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Um, uh, one thing to go back um, when you had mentioned earlier about not really not really being um, a fan of of the fading memory um, uh, kind of subplot line. So at what at what point? And I, I forget in in the exact unleashed story, but at what point then should have because wasn't the plan was everyone would have just just forgotten the the pre reboot and just right. what, but um, I believe in World Unite, both Eggman and Sonic seem seem to remember Wily and, and Mega Man. So like so I guess I guess at what point then does everything and is 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 Woods Collide included in what they should remember or should at this point everything just be pre reboot? I mean sorry, the the reboot and like nothing else. Worlds and this is partly it's really confusing because you have the reboot taking place during kind of Worlds Collide and all the fallout. So I probably could have somehow found a better way to translate or convey what was what. But Worlds Collide is separate from the old continuity. It's its own thing, and is more or less the new continuities in, within the new continuities bounds. Oh, gotcha. Okay. okay. So, and the reason why Sonic and 
Eggman retained anything is because they were at the epicenter of the failed Chaos Control reboot, so they had lingering memories. The lingering memories of the old continuity was something else altogether. Gotcha. Okay. And so, and you know, I can't, I can't remember if it, if it's brought up in World Unites. Um, I think just because there's there's so many character interactions. But so, would other characters like Knuckles and Tails, who were a part of Worlds Collide, do they still remember that, or is it just no, is it just Eggman they, and Sonic? They were they were rebooted with everybody else. Gotcha. Uh, part of the reason why Sonic and Eggman remembered was so that when we did a sequel crossover, which we figured would happen at some point, because Worlds Collide was a huge success before mm. it even hit shelves, oh, yeah. um, was so that we could avoid having to retread the introductions of Worlds Collide. Now, Eggman already has his beef with Wily, but they settled that because they have a mutual distaste for Dr. Light. Hmm. Sonic already knows Mega Man is not a threat, so he just goes, okay, you're cool, we're cool, let's do a hero thing, and Mega Man, being the innocent, naive boy that he is, is like, yeah, okay, sure, let's do the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I think one of one of uh, the big points of World Unite is, um, and I think it's only officially happened in the old Ruby Spears Mega Man cartoon, that you've got to have X and Mega Man Um uh, interact, but for some for some reason, and this this probably just because I, I misread something or someone lied on the internet. But uh, for some reason, I, on the internet, I know it's just <laughs> Wikipedia is wrong. Uh, but I think I think I, I had gone into Worlds Unite somehow thinking it, it was canon, uh, like like it, like it would stay in continuity. So I was thinking like you know when they had um, especially in the bonus story you put in, uh, I believe Mega Man issue fifty, where it's just uh, X and, and kind of Mega Man training um, for a little bit. I was just like. How's how's finger to write himself out of this one? Yeah, I like, remember yeah. that too. I was very like, oh, what? And then uh, at the end of it, I was like, oh, well, of course it's not in, in canon because that would be just bad for everything involved. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that was one of the things is it's the, it's the most tempting fruit of all to have classic and X interact. And I figured since we already had the um, cosmic reset button built into the story, it's like let's just go for it. Let us have fun. Let us indulge in this one opportunity that we're going to get. Because otherwise, you can't really do it. That was one of the major challenges with the Classic X quasi-event crossover thingy in the Mega Man book. Hmm. Was that how do you do a crossover with two timelines that aren't ever supposed to meet? Yeah, I think I get what I, I think this may have just been... Uh, the way Archie marketed it with the use of some of those covers, but I thought Dawn of X was was going to be a legit crossing over. I was like, oh, okay, that's it's kind of soon for that. But then of course that didn't happen. Going back to um, I think what you said about mm-hmm. kind of teasing things. I think one of my favorite little moments is in World Unite is when it's just like two panels of Wiley just kind of looking at um, Zero, going, "Huh, that's a that's that's a pretty good robot design. Almost looks like one of mine." Like, yeah, I don't know, yeah. but that moment, it's like that moment, it's such a nice, nice little like, oh, if only you knew, Wiley. Only you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And also, I guess the oh, the, the big thing about um, United is, of course, all the other Sega and um, uh, Capcom franchises. And I, I think I've asked you this just um, at conventions in, in the past, but like, did you have a, a set list of franchises or did Capcom and Sega just be like, you can use these? And, and like nothing else, or, or were you were you an Archie able just to get everything you had originally planned for? Uh, I had a list for both sides, and we we had kind of like our top three, 
and went from there. And if any of them got rejected, we could, you know, say, okay, we'll just use this one instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know ones that we couldn't use uh, were Phoenix Wright. Uh, <laughs> that would have been awesome. What would he have done? That's the thing. Well, I, I love that. Character. Character. <laughs> he just, <laughs> he just, he just saved the day. <laughs> the original plan was he would be, in, when they're introducing all the different franchises, he would be in a courtroom as the defense lawyer for a construction worker on trial for causing innumerable amount of uh, civic damages, which were actually caused by Tunnel Rhino. Hmm. And Sticks would come crashing through the roof of the courthouse, fighting Tunnel Rhino, yelling, OBJECTION! And thus proving that the guy was innocent. <laughs> and then Phoenix and Maya and, uh, oh shoot, who else? The small Phoenix right cast would kind of get lumped into the adventure and would not really be able to do anything. They'd be kind of <laughs> in the background with Comedy Chimp going, this is a little out of our league. <laughs> I would have loved that. <laughs> but... Capcom said he's not really a fighter, he's not really a combatant, so it yeah. didn't make sense. And it's like, all right, I got to give you that one. <laughs> well, because uh, I, I think we I'll... asked about Fantasy Star, either the original four-parter or Fantasy Star Online, either or. We weren't, we didn't have access to that. Hmm. Uh, we couldn't access Echo the Dolphin. Aww. I don't know how he would have worked. <laughs> He's but he's kind of one of those iconic Sega characters, so I figured I'd ask and then figure it out from there. But thankfully, <laughs> they said no, so I didn't have to do that. And uh, then I would have loved Monster it. Even, I would have loved it if you would have just taken a page from uh, the Nickelodeon Turtles and just given him fish faces contraption. Just a little giant male legs. It's ancient Atlantean technology because they wanted their dolphins to walk. Why not? Uh, with Monster Hunter, I forget which critter we had slated initially, but they were just coming out with the Wii U version, I think. Mm. So they asked us to use Gormagala specifically. And as we were in development, they introduced the, uh, what are the cats called? Palicos and... Oh, what's the other cat? I have never anyway, played it, so I have no little idea. Cat <laughs> companions. They introduced Sonic and Mega Man mm. themed armors for yeah. them. Oh, ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, can we use that? Can we use that? Can we use that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. It's like, ha <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I think. <laughs> oh, Ian portrays himself as like a kid in a kid. He's like, can I get both of these? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on Sonic, man. I get, my career has been playing with all my old toys. I am in the candy store. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think also, because obviously I think um, one of the bigger franchises is Street Fighter, but I believe. Is it Udon? Actually, Udon. has comic book rights. So I, I, I've heard that you know, um, the story goes that Archie just went, "Can we use these guys in this?" And I'm like, yeah, "Okay." Like there, there, there wasn't much pushback, but but I guess because they did have the the comic book rights, did they have to approve any of of what you were doing with them, or could they were you just free just to do whatever once you had the the approval from them? I uh, I don't think Udon was involved. In any capacity, at least if they were, I didn't hear about it. I'm pretty sure that Capcom owning the license, just they were the only ones we had to go to. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I could be wrong, but, you know, again, I am I get all my feedback on the second and third hand. So if Udon was involved, I didn't hear about it. <laughs> and I, th- I think, um, was there any pushback from Sega in regards to Sonic Boom? Because I, I think it was said that, like, you couldn't have... 
regular Sonic meeting Boom Sonic? Was that was that was that official? Right. Uh, we we could only use Boom exclusive characters, which was a little disappointing, but also kind of understandable because Boom was still very new at that point, so they probably didn't want to confuse the brand at all. Uh, I initially only wanted Sticks to come over to keep it simple, really, but. Paul said to bring in some supporting cast for more comedy fodder. So I figured, all right, comedy chip and fastidious beaver. They're the only kind of two standout background characters during season one. And they added a couple of jokes in there and it was fun. Yeah. You know, Cause I was rereading it and I was kind of just like, I'm not, I'm not sure what your wider included, but like, they don't really do much. They just sit the back and just go, we, we, we can't we can't do anything. They were funny. I like them. Being no, I, think, I, I think one of my favorite things is there's there's uh, one, I think once all the Mavericks start attacking in the second arc, there's like this nice kind of um, four panel uh, back, uh, background gag of like comedy chip and this baby running away and like sticks chasing them and then all three of them are chased by something else and then she's chasing them again like with a boomerang trying to attack them. Yeah. Well, my favorite's when they're writing their will into the sand. <laughs> oh. Now, one thing I am sad that we didn't get approved was in the inevitable super showdown at the mm. very end. In addition to Super Armor Mega Man, which I'm still amazed we got away with in Worlds Collide. <laughs> I wanted to have X show up in a gold version of his armor from Command Mission. The one with the giant saucer and the two ridiculously large arm cannons. <laughs> and have Sticks go something quasi super just for the joke. <laughs> she should have just she should have just gotten a bigger stick. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't get the power, it's a giant golden boomerang. <laughs> but those got, both got the kibosh, so we were just left with supersonic and super mm. armor man, which was still cool. I mean mm. Tyson Hess, who is a god among men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. phenomenally and okay so just just to just point out how amazing Hess is the one scene that I put my foot down on and required this crossover to have was when they finally confront Planet Sigma mm. and they open up with the Delphinius firing the Moonstone Cannon that two page spread of every single character jumping down and attacking planet Sigma and all the Sigma clones. I, in the script, I had it you know, written out character by character, layer by layer on the height of the page. And then in a big note at the bottom to Tyson said, look, this is how I think it could work, but you're the artist. If you have a better way of rendering this, please, by all means, do what works for you and saves your poor wrist. <laughs> he did it exactly as I scripted it. <laughs> he made it work, and I don't know how. But good, glorious! He, I love his stuff. I love his stuff so much. His artwork. I mean, I, you know, especially in, in Mega Drive. Mega Drive. And we'll, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to Mega Drive. But yeah, every it's like every time him and um, Diana Skelly like. The days that they have this kind of, I, I guess, more cartoony. more cartoony vibe. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of of Ben Bates in the Last Arc of Wolves Collide. There's certain panels where Sonic's face, when he's just like attacking robots, just gets uh, I don't want to say goofier than usual, but it's it's it is more kind of kind of like a Hanna Barbera cartoony style <laughs> to it. Are you talking about that that one where he's like racing around fighting all the robot masters, and he looks at. I can't remember who he looks at. He looks. He, he looks at Strike Man. It's just like, what are you? Why? Yeah, do you, why like, do you exist? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
good stuff. Uh, to, to go to go um quickly to to Mega Man Ian, and I'm sure um you know we asked about that Sonic at the top of of the uh the, the uh, podcast, but I mean it's been it's been over two years since yeah. the book kind of went into a hiatus. Um, has there been any like any update? Because I mean I think we've I think the three of us at different points have like tweeted at Archie, but unfortunately we haven't had any type of. Uh, Official response in regards to Mega Man, unlike with Sonic, where they have been very like we're still in talks with stuff, but we haven't yeah. really heard anything at all really about what the status of the Mega Man um, book is. I as far, as far as I know, it too is still under some form of consideration or talks. Every now and again, I hear rumblings of, "Oh, this party is now speaking to that party. Hmm. Maybe something will happen, and then nothing comes of it." But I honestly don't know. So I mean, uh, again, like if if you if you don't or, or can't say, you know, please don't divulge. So, I mean, was it was it a kind of similar with with Sonic? Was it some kind of behind the scenes breakdown with Archie and Capcom that led to a going on hiatus? I I've heard secondhand talk and rumors and such about why certain books were put on hiatus or got the axe. Uh, <laughs> nothing that I know firsthand. So I wouldn't really feel comfortable saying, gotcha. yes, this is the exact reason why. So, and anything I say is going to be spun out into gossip mongering yeah. online anyway. So we'll just say, I don't know. <laughs> um, stick, sticking with, with Mega Man for a moment. What was, I mean, was it, was it uh, a, a, your choice or, or a editorial choice? Because I mean, I think the, the final three issues, I think when, they, when we came back after, would unite there they're kind of told out of order story-wise i mean i i, I get why i get I, I can understand why 55 was chosen for the last because it, it's a nice kind of like um look at the franchise as a whole but um was there a reason why say the the proto man story which comes before the first issue back after world unite was kind of uh produced after that uh it's been so long since i've worked on either of them I can't remember what you're citing specifically continuity-wise. Okay, so did the first issue back after World Unite, it, it's the kind of issue that leads into um, what the start of what would become Mega Man 4. And then the issue after right. that was, was, was a Proto-Man-centric story, but it begins with this takes place before previous issue. And then the issue 55 also takes place before issue 53. So again, okay, okay, yeah, 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 okay, thanks. Um, so the reason was we didn't know how long this hiatus was going to last. Okay. But we also were given the opportunity to tell enough issues to complete one last trade. Hmm. So the first story was pretty much the setup for the Mega Man 4 arc, which I had been building towards since issue one, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, 54 was... The Proto Man focus story because Proto Man has so much delicious angst to dive into. <laughs> and he really did become kind of the standout star of that run. So we wanted to give him one last big shout out. And then 55 was obviously the big casting call send off to the entire franchise. So that if this was the end, we at least got to go out on a high note with, you know, the potential for more if we ever got it back. Yeah, I think going on Proto Man, Ian, I mean, I always kind of liked him, you know, playing the versions as a kid. I think it's like a cool design. But but your your writing has, has made him one of my favorite characters 
from anything. I think the way, I mean, I think I've said this to you before, but the the first Proto-Man two-parter is the only time a comic book has made me cry. So, congratulations, Ian. <laughs> you made a grown man cry. How does that make you feel? <laughs> man, you, 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 made, you made a grown man cry because a robot misses his father. <laughs> Did you call it's... your dad after that? <laughs> He called his robot. I called my robot father and I missed him after that, yeah. I went into the closet and talked to the vacuum for a little while. It was, it was the same thing. <laughs> One of the major consistent feedbacks I get on the series is people appreciating the amount of thought, or I guess thoughtfulness, yes. applied to what was really just run to the right jump shoot. Yeah. And with Proto Man in particular, it's when you actually look at what his story is it's horribly tragic yep <laughs> and it's strangely beautiful in a way too i really really like the sequence and especially the way chad thomas rendered it because i would write anything that chad drew ever because chad is amazing <laughs> when dr light is you know pushing him to become more human and is exposing him to <laughs> nature and life and culture and you have these little moments where blues sees a scarf and he's like I like that. The fact that he likes that, that he desires that for no other reason than he wants it is so wonderfully human and understated in the way that Chad renders it and in the way that he wears it throughout the rest of the issue when he comes up with the whistle Mm. by himself. Mm. That, I think, just speaks volumes and it's why he whistles it every time he shows up to shoot Mega Man in the face. (laughs) It's because that's his signature. That's who he is. That is where he kind of became himself. Which you, which is a lot to get from that kind of red, grayish sprite that hopped around shooting pellets at you. <laughs> Especially if you play the Wily Wars version where he's half the size of Mega Man. Because they, 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 they didn't bother to remake Proto-Man sprite for that game. Um, okay, I, I, you know, I've said it in... Um, in, in the past, you know, the, the Mega Man book is, is still to this day my, my favorite comic book I've ever read. I mean, there's, again, you, as you said, you, you take this kind of, of, kind of dopey little Japanese game and franchise, which every, on the, you know, really, every game is just, you know, evil bald man is made robots, <sighs> go kill them, you know, and you, you added so much, so much depth and kind of humanity to it that, um, again, I think, I think one of my, some of my favorite issues are the ones where there's there's no violence. They're just talking about the kind of humanity of robotics. I think um, Spiritual SS Machina is one of my favorite arcs because mm. it's just these these you know intelligent scientists having a essentially a political debate about yeah. whether robots should be classed as as living beings or not. And it's again, it's not something I ever would have. <laughs> would have um, thought would have happened or, you know, if like if I was put in charge of a Mega Man comic, I wouldn't have thought to do that. I just would have had a little robot go and fight an old bald man for every issue, you know? <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's, thing, it's things like that which I think um, in, on a certain on a certain level makes, kind of, for me, elevates Mega Man above the Sonic book. Because, I mean, the, the, the Sonic book does have, have, mm. have nice moments of, of um, you know, characterization and, and humanity, but there's, to me, there's nothing on on say that level of of just like these these two two uh, you know these two scientists who both have, I think my my favorite things it's Doctor Lights and forgive me I forget her name but Doctor Lights gonna Doctor Lights yeah yes. and when they, when they're having the the debate about robotics when the, the, you know that they both have their own robotic children and are coming from yeah. from two different points I mean, that is one of 
my my favorite pieces of writing in any form of literature. I think just that, just their back and forth is just it's so beautifully written in that that you're gonna make me cry just thinking about it. Thank you very much. I think part of that stems from Mega Man already has its story written. Yeah, you know, one through ten with the other smaller games that fit into the continuity, plus the fallout of X and everything that goes beyond that, all of that helps to inform the basis. So the crisis that is in X's era has to stem from something, and here in Classic we can see those seeds being planted and starting to germinate. And I, my goal was if and when we got to X, you would be able to see the whole issue around the Maverick uprising and where it originated all the way back with Dr. Light, just trying to make things better for humanity. So, so if, if, if Sonic would have had kind of a, a cause I like said, Mega Man has a very, it, you know, it's a it's pretty sh- strong continuity, you know, one through 10, they, they'll follow into the next. There's no kind of, is this game canon or if the Sonic franchise would have had a kind of stronger continuity, do you think, um, Maybe either, either when you first took over the book or in the pre-reboot, would you have maybe tried to have gone for something closer to what you did with Mega Man? Absolutely. Okay. Go, going back to, I mean, kind of just related to what Gareth was just saying about when you started on the book, I couldn't help but notice, and I, I, I know this is a poor analogy of probably <laughs> the process you went through of deciding how you were going to, the direction you were going to take the book, but Which book? It, uh, Sonic and Mega Man. Sonic. Sonic. Oh. But it almost felt like, essentially, you were just... You looked at a table with all of the story elements and all of the characters that were in play at that time, and you just took your hand and just brushed them off the table. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, okay. Like, this is, it, 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 this I, can I, go to goodwill. I, you know, I, I, I think you have said that you, the first couple issues were kind of just, to put it politely, clean up. Of like, this this doesn't make House any clean. sense. It's like, the buzzword that's going around. House clean, yeah. Cause I think... I think one of the big things is like, you know, there's like a, a million KSM modes now, let's go back to having seven. Because that's how it should be, you know. <laughs> there was a planet for each of those Chaos Emeralds, so it was okay. <laughs> no one likes Tommy Turtle, let's just murder him and give it a free oh, there you go. Murder it good. <laughs> when I started on the book it was there was some directive to tighten things up mm. because the book had become so slow paced and what is a delicate term for this? Off-center from what the license was okay. about, shall we say? Okay. Now, did that, that come was... from Mike Pell? Pellerito? Yeah, Mike Pellerito. Okay. Uh, he said, let's, let's get this to be a Sonic book again. And I agreed with that because, you know, in, as much as I enjoyed the cartoons and the comics, I was also a fan of the games, and it was really hard to reconcile the two. So what I've I guess what I've always tried to do since the beginning is steer it back towards, you know, being a Sonic book. <laughs> so that's, you know, where I, but at the same time, there are so many people who came before me to, who built up the book. I didn't want to just trash it all and be the snot nosed upstart that knew better than everybody. <laughs> so I tried to build it within the continuity that was there. And that resulted in absolute, bogs like the darkest storm which i think somebody counted it out there were 32 separate plot points that were all resolved within those three issues (laughs) (laughs) 
That's the, that, that was 32 separate plot points that had been ongoing in the book for who knows how many years. And they were finally tied off and, you know, succinctly, <laughs> as succinctly as could be, contained. And we could move on from there. That kind of reminds we, me of of the last season of Game of Thrones. They just murdered so many characters just to end plot lines. They were just going nowhere. <laughs> I gotta tell you, though. Has George written the book yet? No, kill them all. <laughs> I gotta tell you, though. Darkest Storm, like when you when you when you got back, Darkest Storm and I think it's Birthday Bash really got me back into the book, and I I, I remember loving Darkest Storm just because it was it was tying everything up. Like if it wasn't if it wasn't for you getting back on the book, I would probably not be sitting here right now. I would think most you know not 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 to. Put down too too harsh the people who were on the book before Ian, but I think without Ian and and Tracy joining yeah. at one sixty, I don't you know I think a lot of people who read it now might not if if it was going to keep going the the direction it was going with the you know thirty two unresolved plot lines <laughs> that would probably just span more and more. I you know I don't see as many people being as fan of it now. Now that you've, I mean. You've worked on the Sonic franchise, the comic book, for a decade. Uh, hundreds of issues. Um, do you have, like, one or two moments that you, you um, just in general, that you're like, yeah, that, um, you know, your, your, your pride and joy moments in, that, in the Sonic world? Oh, sure. There's a lot of times where things just came together in a way that was really satisfying. Um, I think it was issue two or three of Sonic Universe, the one where we resolved the point, the point that Gamma didn't actually die in the comics adaptation of Sonic Adventure, mm-hmm. and we brought Omega into the mix. That was one of those you know lingering plot threads that I wanted to resolve in a particular way, and just Tracy and I were in perfect sync on that issue in particular. And that came out really, really nicely. Yeah. Uh, I think Thicker Than Water, the story with Bunny and it introduces her uncle, Beauregard, oh, which was a throwaway gag line from Mecha Madness. Yeah. Which shows you just how freaking obsessive I am with this series. <laughs> I think that came together really well, in large part thanks to Ben Bates' art. Mm. Um, pretty much anything with Beauregard came together really well because somebody on Twitter messaged me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm going to draw a pre-reboot character. Name one. I'm like, uh, Matilda. And like, here you go. And I'm like, that's really cool. I should reread that story. And it's like, that was a good one. Yeah. That came together nicely. Uh, Worlds Collide in its entirety was just a joy to write. I think it came out phenomenally start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep harping on it, but I, I was so scared about Eclipse. Yeah, because he could have gone so badly. Ian, I won't. I you know, I want to interject. I, I I won't lie. During shadow, during Shadowfall, I was a bit like, okay, it's like this is kind of pre Sonic Forces fan character. But when, but when he got to um totally um totally Eclipse, I think at that arc, that that during that arc, then I was like, that was the jam, man. That I, I at that point, I think as soon as he started using Dark Wisps, I was like, I want this guy around forever. This guy's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I think Scourge was a success overall. Oh yeah, Scourge Lockdown is still still one of my favorite arcs the book has ever done, and it's because it's a it's an arc featuring 
no game characters whatsoever. And I, I, yeah. I, and I, I won't let like, because I, I kind of when I joined the book, I, I do tend to favor the game characters over the freedom fighters. Um, so sometimes, sometimes I know this greatly annoys Jonathan. Number one Antoine fan. You yeah. are the number one Antoine fan. It's true. <laughs> um, and so, so, so sometimes when there's arcs that um, that are just freedom fighter centric, you know, I won't. I won't say that I, you know, I lose interest or my, you know, love wanes, but I tend to, I just associate more with the game characters. I have no problems in Scorch Lockdown. Scorch Lockdown is just one of the, yeah. I I would almost put it on a level of champion. It's just fun. It's just fun. It's fun just to see Scorch get the crappy out of him for like, (laughs) for like two pages nonstop, you know? And I think it's funny you say that because Champions is a heavily game character run story that's mostly action and comedy. Yeah, where lockdown is a very character-driven, purely OC <laughs> no, <right>. story. <laughs> but the fact that you equate those two makes me happy. Because so, <laughs> hey. they're both just—they're both just fun, you know. Again, smooths the cat. Ian, you magnificent bastard! That character is amazing. <laughs> Ian, he's, he's, he's a terrifying individual, isn't he? <laughs> Hey there, Scourge. Where's your bottom bunk? Jeez. That dumb dog. Um, you gotta eat that cornbread. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I never got to reveal, unfortunately, is the reason why Smalls was in zone jail. Oh, why's that? Because he was traveling the multiverse, killing all the froggies. <laughs> no, that means... he would eventually escape and come to Sonic Prime, looking for the Froggy Prime. Does that mean there there was Bat? Did he kill Bat Froggy? Well, then he got replaced by Tim Froggy and later Damien Froggy. But yeah, <laughs> the original Jason Froggy was eaten by Small as a kid. No, we need we, we need to tell David the Lurker so we could put this in Big Big Vision Adventure Three. <laughs> Do it. You probably would as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ian. So the other day, my sp- well, not the other day, like a week ago, my spouse, uh, my spouse asked me, was was like, oh, you know what? I I think I might want to start reading Sonic for whatever reason. They have no interest in Sonic the Hedgehog, and they were like, and they married one what? of the biggest Sonic fans. Yeah, the they were like. Well, what what should I read? So, asking the person that wrote pretty much the majority of everything that I would push their way, what would you suggest someone read that doesn't really care about Sonic, but thinks that your books look fun and interesting? I would say pick up Volume 2, The Chase. Okay. Because... Volume 1, Countdown to Chaos, is still, a, I think, a good enough story, but it's extremely continuity-heavy. Mm-hmm. And it was in the inenviable in, in place of trying to ease old readers into the new continuity, and I was wrestling with mm-hmm. the editor over how to handle the memory thing. So it's a really dense book. I, like, mm-hmm. I would not recommend Darkest Storm as your first yeah. book. The Chase... It's Sonic, it's the Freedom Fighters, they're chasing down an evil train to rescue an old guy. That's just fun. <laughs> it's a very easy jump on point. Side note, uh, Darkest Storm was my first Sonic book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, if you've got champions all together, I think that's an yeah. easy one to yeah. just jump into and have fun with. 
Uh, I'm not overly fond of Genesis myself, but really? it seems to be a major fan favorite, and it's very easy to just pick up and read as a Sonic book, so there's that one too. Uh, why, why, Ian, if we can ask, why aren't you a big fan of Genesis? Uh, I think it's boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is I, that... think it's, I think it's stale, and I think I could have done a lot better with it. But it's one of the best-selling books that have ever come about, and people really? always glow when they talk to me about it. So I'm glad they enjoyed it. I'm glad they got more out of it than I did. Is it? Is, do you think it's stale because it's uh, so much a, a game adaptation of one and two, or why? Why do you do you say it's stale? And also, I say, did the Google then? Do you also feel then that you uh, improved with Genesis of a Hero mm. in that regard? Uh, yes, to improved. I'm not quite sure what it is about Genesis that routes me the wrong way. Maybe it was the fact that it, we kind of had to do it. It wasn't yeah. part of organically the story. Maybe it's because I don't know. It's just I remember not being that enthused about writing it mm. and plotting it and putting it together, even though Spaz <laughs> was doing the art, which right there is you know an yeah. easy sell. Yeah. But I don't know. It just for me, it was one of those. Yeah, all right, I did that one. Mm. It's okay. And then everyone's like, "This is amazing!" And I'm like, "Okay." Glad you like it. I don't. I don't feel bad now because I don't love Genesis. I like it. I like it enough. But again, I'm like again. I don't. I read it, and I. I think again. The problem sometimes. Sometimes when I read um, like arcs that I hear about, I think it's also I think one of the reasons why because I think all the covers released were you know covers of one, two, three, and then and, and knuckles. So I, I thought the arc was gonna be. Like issue one would be Sonic one, issue two, kind of like how what you're doing with Genesis of, of a Hero, and then I also wasn't expecting the Freedom Fighters, um, and I think the Freedom Fighters, um, I don't, I don't want to say overshadow um, Sonic in that story, but again, I just wasn't expecting it to, them to be so prevalent in, in the book. But I think again, Spaz's artwork, and I think that there are nice of a lot of nice moments. I think particularly between Sonic and Tails. Yeah. Um, when you get into the Sonic 2 adaptation, which is why I like Genesis, but I, w I personally wouldn't put that on, on like a top 10 arc of mine. Look, I'm just saying, Genesis is amazing because it has Oil Ocean Zone. <laughs> <laughs> TJ's favorite uh, uh, level in Sonic history, and, and no one knows why, it's, it's Oil Ocean Zone. So anything See, that involving that, he's happy mind, with. Because that's the one where we usually got stuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, just the aesthetic. Just <laughs> So well, It does have one of the best tracks in the game. Yeah. Can't that, yeah, that's a very good Most track. underrated. So going on to Genesis of a Hero, what were your notes going into that um, not being so satisfied with uh, Genesis? Uh, I think because Genesis of Hero was actually meant to be part of the continuity of the main book. Mm -hmm. Original Genesis was its own self-contained thing. Okay. This was actually building upon the lore. <clears throat> and I think it was also benefited from each issue was a particular game, not trying to tell all of one story in one go. Mm, yeah. So we could focus on key moments and really just have fun with those. And so, so was it, was it say your choice or an editor's choice to have each issue not be the entire game? Because like, I think the Sonic 1 arc is just scrap brains on onwards. Uh, Sonic 2 is just Wing Fortress right before the Death Egg boss. And Sonic CD is 
pretty much the whole game up to start a speedway. Was it was it a was it a choice on your behalf to not actually try and tell the whole the whole game story in one issue? Right. This was more a celebration of the franchise. Okay. Gotcha. So I wanted to pick kind of key big moments in each game because uh, Scrap Brain is when things really ramp up, up yeah. to that big final fight. Uh, Wing Fortress is when things really get real because you go through the very different um, sky chase. Mm. And you get a different experience because you feel like, okay, this is it. We're ramping up to the finale. And with Sonic CD, aside from the race with Metal Sonic, there isn't a very major plot moment, yeah. I would say. And you can't just do the race for 20 pages. That's boring. <laughs> Although, the way Tracy rendered that two-page splash... Oh, I was going to say, I would happily look through 20 pages of Tracy drawing that race. <laughs> it would be beautiful. <laughs> that and we've seen Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 so much, and you don't really see a lot of Sonic CD. Yeah. So what I wanted mm-hmm. to do was show more of that for once instead of just glancing by it, who knew when we would get back to it. So that was more of, you know, let's actually acknowledge Sonic CD yeah. and have the big key moment, which is the race. Well, I am very happy that, that we got the Sonic CD issue because that, that was an excellent issue. I think, yeah, you know, if, if, if I was to pick out just single issues, that's probably one of, one of my favorite issues. Yeah. So and I, I'm sure you can't, you can't say, and we're all hoping it'll get released as soon as possible, but I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and say that, for the Sonic 3 and Knuckles, if you're picking just key moments, I need, if I'm wrong, don't say anything, and if I'm right, don't say anything, just so I can pretend I'm right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume it's going to probably start or be around Lava Reef through Sky Sanctuary. <sighs> Love Lava Reef. You didn't say anything, that means I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that meant you were wrong. It means both, but shut up, I'm right. <laughs> this is going to be the Schrodinger's next... answer. You're both right <laughs> at the same time. Oh... So um, I wanted to I, I wanted to ask a question about the egg bosses because that was you you really um, ramped up the stakes for the egg bosses in the reboot boot I feel like you were you were starting to play with it pre boot but um, I, th- I think with the uh, with the unleashed arc you got to really just go in there. Like headstrong, especially with Ox, like Eggman's dozen. Yeah, um, and each one presents a different kind of philosophical standpoint on Eggman's occupation. And I was wondering um, what your thought process or what your 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 you know how how you kind of planned that out as like a whole going at the egg bosses. With them, it was kind of a way of keeping all the toy boxes organized. Mm-hmm. You have you would have a egg boss for each region and then you would have the Freedom Fighter group in opposition so that if you know, Afterworlds um, uh, after Sonic Unleashed was done, we could go to any point in Sonic's world and have an established cast. So we didn't have to bring yeah. the whole Sky Patrol. We didn't have to bring all of the Freedom Fighters. We could just have Sonic and Tails go somewhere, have the supporting cast to bounce off of, and have an interesting new villain to go up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, the regions somewhat informed who we would use as a villain, mm-hmm. and then from there it became a question of, okay, how do we make all 12 of these guys interesting 
without stealing the limelight from Eggman. Yeah. And one of the key things when writing any good villain is to make them right in their own mind, hmm. not just to have them being a mustache twirling villain. Even Eggman, who is a mustache twirling villain, is right in his own mind. Hmm. And what a mustache he twirls. Oh, absolutely. It's magnificent. <laughs> so, you know, each one had their own motivations and were to varying degrees sympathetic or not, like Thunderbolt. Yeah. She's not sympathetic at all, oh. but she's delightful because she's a tiny ball of fury and fluff. <laughs> but then you have Cassie and Chloe, oh, yeah. who were written by Leah Baker, who have so much depth and so much pathos to them that they're really engaging. Even Tundra, who I wish we had more time to get into his thinking, as much of a son of a gun that he is, has his thinking and his reasoning behind him. And then that way... Each one would have their own small arc, their own beginning, middle, and conclusion, and we could move things forward. Yeah, I have to say, Eggman's Dozen is one of my favorite uh, universe arcs. And I was I was a little embarrassed, because I, 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 when you did the poll, <laughs> I made it a point to be like, well, you have two Eggman arcs going against each other. You're... you're, you're uh, you're you're take you're you're ta you're splitting the Eggman vote, and I was like, oh no, I sound like such a dweeb. <laughs> oh, that was you. Yeah. <laughs> this interview's over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a fair point, and something I had wrestled with when I was putting the poll together. I'm like, eh, this is for fun. Who cares? And then somebody cared. It's like, yeah, okay, I should probably put some thought into this. I was the fastidious beaver. Actually, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you. you know what? I goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Shadow Saga, but I still can't believe that one the fan poll. It, it's Shadow. I figured it was going to win from the get go. But like, mm. but like, Total Eclipse is Shadow versus Knuckles. That's two I know, characters. I, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all wanted something else to win. <laughs> something I, we... I'm right there with you. I mean, Shadow Saga is fine. There's some fun stories in it, but I would not put it as the best arc. Well, the, the, the thing is, I always thought that I don't, I don't really view Shadow Saga as an arc. It's kind of just four stories. It's vignettes. That, it's vignettes of Shadow. Like I wouldn't, I, I view that more as a collection of stories rather than a flat out, because there isn't really a overarching theme aside from the kind of minor one of Shadow's joined gun and he's going on gun missions. You know. Yeah. But it was all put together in a book, so we're calling it. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably something chaotic should have won. Something a little more chaotic. Sales <laughs> adventure, because it's all about Antoine and Bunny's honeymoon. Yeah, but chaotic. <laughs> but the, oh, the awkward... Funny story about the chaotic. Um, the Great Chaotic Scaper, which was a nod to the Muppet movie. <laughs> um, somebody pointed out in the first issue that if yep. you read the pages in a certain order, it's pretty much word for word the lyrics to Pumpkin Hill. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that is, that is amazing. That is so good. And I have to tell you, we, last year we did a charity marathon and we had Hunted P on a stream and I, I, got, I advised him of that and he was, he was very, he thought that was very funny. That someone <laughs> took that. That was not intentional. That was completely <laughs> an accident. Maybe it's because the first time I played that level, it took me 30 freaking minutes to find the shards. It was ingrained into my brain. But 
So as soon as we figured that out, when they go down to Aquatic Mind, I'm reading through the script again. I'm going, this is matching the lyrics. This is matching the lyrics. We don't have a burning skull. So I emailed Tracy really quick. I know you're drawing the pages right now. Put a burning skull in there somewhere, please. (laughs) So now we have both songs in that arc. Oh, my gosh. I think that this means when you were writing part one, Ian, even even your subconscious (laughs) is like a massive sonic nerd. (laughs) (laughs) I, I after ten years, you kind of just exist in a kind of sonic-like state. The only I think I think the only, the only thing that would have made the kind of hundred uh, p rap tra- transition perfect was if at one point one character just went, "You're damn right, Knuckles." This <laughs> 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 oh. death chamber that is a different. different. So someone's just, just standing behind Knuckles, whispering, "Death chamber." Death chamber. <laughs> So essentially what Ian's saying is that Death Chamber would have also made a great chaotic <laughs> If the chaotics are involved, it's going to be a great story anyway, right right there. Can't argue with that. Yeah, I th- I, one of my favorite pages of Wood's Collide, it's it's the kind of page of SPO and Shadow Man having the ninja off. <laughs> Vector, Vector, rolling down Snake Man, saying he's at a scrape stool, reptiles everywhere, (laughs) and um, Charmy, I believe, fighting Hornet Man, go flying away, screaming, "Wait, aren't we guys like cousins or something?" (laughs) 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 Um, to 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 go off to something that we briefly (laughs) brought up uh, last time, I I actually want want to bring up your your two issue arc on. Team and Team Amazing Adventures, and I, I, I think I told you this in the past, team, but that that felt like because again, it was you know. So, so when you when you sit down to to write a new story, do you do you kind of go out of your way to kind of include continuity? Because I mean, you got you included references and uh, like character traits that even the Nickelodeon show hadn't really touched upon in like two seasons. Mm. I am a big stickler for continuity. And I want it to feel organic because mm. that way it feels like you're watching a greater plot that is unfolding rather than just a series of events. So I am a big fan of the new cartoon. It has its problem points. Space Ark. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Space Ark sucked. <laughs> but it, it's done a lot of really new and interesting things with the turtles. So I wanted to, you know, honor that. Mm-hmm. And I'm still happy with the line Bebop gets where he says they ain't going to cut those turtle boys no slack. <laughs> but I actually did those two, a, and then two small backup stories as well. Yeah. And one of them was just this goofy story where Michelangelo and Mondo Gecko are fighting over whose catchphrase is better. And the entire dialogue for the story is Buyakasha and Kalabanga with different inflections. And the artist for that one, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he is absolutely astonishing. And it's like, why are you rendering this goofy little story? I want you to write something real. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, I forget exactly what story it was involved with, but I think you have written my favorite Michelangelo line. I, I, I forget the exact context, but he does something to annoy <laughs> Donatello, who screams out, yeah. Michelangelo! Michelangelo's were taught as, oh, you can always tell when he's mad, he's such using big words, like my name. <laughs> that, that was just such a good line, man. Like, my favorite Michelangelo line of all time. <laughs> and Robert Paulson is such an amazing voice actor that 
his voice is what I hear when I'm writing Donna Hill, and it makes it so much easier to write his dialogue, because it's like, how would I want Rob to read this? <laughs> oh, there we go. That was easy. So, speak, speaking of, of voices, then, are you a, a Jason Biggs or a Seth Green man? Um, I think they both did an admirable job, and I think Seth Green has done a really impressive job of emulating what came before. And I like the fact that the show didn't just ignore it, but they kind of lampshaded it, gave it a continuity reason, and they just ran with it. Trying so, to punch his throat that he sounds different. Okay. Well, that his larynx was so destroyed that it, you know, healed him properly. Yeah. Because those, some of those fights, whoo, they're brutal. The Boy. the the um the the final fights with um Super Shred at the end of season four. <clears throat> Like I'm, I'm surprised some of that stuff made it on on Nickelodeon. It's, yeah. it's really quite violent. I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed with that fight. Really, I'm thinking more along the lines of when Leatherhead pops out of nowhere, bites Shredder around the torso, and flings him around a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, hmm. that that's that, and that wasn't even like a cutaway thing. You actually watch him get bounced around. It's like, whew, hmm, all righty. One of my favorites is they don't like specifically show. They kind of show it. It's when um, they're they're fighting Super Shredder on the um, top of the Channel Six building. Raphael jumps on his back, and you see his hands move up and down, and you hear the sound of Raphael just stabbing his sides in Shredder's back. And things like that. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm kind of surprised Nickelodeon allowed that, like on screen stabbing Shredder in the back multiple times. Well, you don't actually see the stabbing; it's yeah. just implied. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Fair point. Um, I think one one thing that we we also wanted to touch upon is, of course, recently you um you uh, teamed up with uh, Mark Wade to do a um a arc two on, issues two issue arc on, on Jughead. Yeah. So how how did that come out? Was was it a thing where Archie contacted you? Did you say like, hey, I I have an idea for a Jughead story? How did that come about? No, this was about the time that the Sonic book went on hiatus. So there went my career, and oh. Archie, who's always taken care of me, said, "Here, let's." You know, we'll give you a shot a couple issues. Mark Wade's going to co-write with you. I'm like, yeah, cool, fine, all right, works for me. I like eating, <laughs> and you know, I get to put on my resume worked with Mark Wade. Yeah, and it was a very easy process because Mark had the premise, I did the script, he did provisions, and Derek Charm did phenomenal interiors, and Bob Drunkle. It was also really easy because Jughead is easily the best Archie character. <laughs> And Sabrina, who is my favorite Archieverse character, was involved, so mm. it more or less wrote itself. Mm. So, so was, was there any any kind of direct um, contact between you and Mark Wade, or was it just like you, you received his notes, you wrote the script, and he just took that, or did you actually kind of have any direct did conversations? Did get some lunch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> did I get to breathe his air? No, no, no. Uh, there was kind of a big chain email with everyone involved, okay. and there was some back and forth, so there was some direct email talk, but... Mm. No, it's not like we're going out to pick tuxes together for the next wedding. It's just, <laughs> you know, we happen to be in the same project together. Uh, well, there goes my head cannon. <laughs> I thought, you know, my, my whole fan fiction was he adopted you and, <laughs> and was, like, grooming fed you, you. Fed you nothing but like, burgers for a month yes. to pay to write Jughead. 
I feed myself burgers all month. That's my other thing. Oh. Become the Jughead. Um, <laughs> spe- I, I did want to ask, speaking of working with other people, we've talked a little bit about Alea Baker, uh, your wife. Um, so how, how, how do you guys, when you guys sit down and co-write a story together, um, how, how does that process come about? How is it, I mean, I assume it's different from a big mass email chain with like your, well, I guess that's goes, right just contact me through email about anything at home and work. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now the way we, cause I usually would run by my stories by her anyway. So okay. we already had an open dialogue about the book and the process. And basically, we would just kind of sit down with a pad of paper and go back and forth and bounce ideas off each other and go from there. Uh, the last thing that we did together was Case of the Pirate Princess, which was another mm-hmm. fantastic chaotic story. And that one was, I had a couple of ideas of my own. She had big plans for Undina mm. as a big chaotic fan herself, so it was you know, easy enough to put it all together. And then we kind of hashed out the basic plot I did, the breakdowns, and then she more or less wrote the scripts. Okay. So uh, so then after she would she would um, write the script scene, would you like kind of revise it? Or would you, like once she wrote the script, was that the, kind of the end of it? I went back over it and, you know, we talked over a couple lines here and there, but more or less that was all her. Okay. Okay, cool, cool. Um, I, I think we, well, we want to... Uh, move on to some of your other uh, works that you're you're yeah. coming out with. So, um, you have something called Uncanny Valley Hide, which people can purchase through Amazon, through Kindle, and through Comixology. And I, is there another place people can pick that up? I think that's all of the venues. Okay. So, I, 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 want, I want to confirm, is that... <laughs> Is it digital only? Because I, I actually went into a few comic book stores trying to order it, and no one could seem to find it. No, it's digital only. It's still coming out through slow yeah. release. Gotcha. Well, I think there's a plan to collect it eventually into okay. a small pocket size trade. Oh, cool. Cool. But uh, I'm not entirely sure about that. would be more of a Space Goat publishing question. Okay. Because yeah, I, I, I haven't been able to... Um, to read it, but I, whenever, whenever like uh, panels are tweeted out saying like, issue one or two is out today, the dialogue in the panels always makes me laugh. So I was yeah. I was disheartened not, not to be able to find it, but now I know it's digital. I'm just gonna go and go buy it. Everyone go buy it. JJ, go buy it now. Yes, sir. So I, I did have a I did have a, um, a question about it. So what was uh, so it's um is this like um is this uh, like your first creator owned like completely your story thing getting published and like what was essentially a concept because reading it it's kind of like a little bit of like an archie with a kind of a like a little bit of a i guess sinister sci-fi plot that's goofy now this is not a creator owned project this is actually a space ghost property okay they came to me and said, we like your stuff. You want to write this? I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and they pitched the project. is basically it. the characters are NPCs within a very glitchy high school sim game. Yeah. They don't realize they're in the game, so it's kind of Matrix-esque. But 
it's you know like in beta stage, so it does not run properly, and it leads to all sorts of fun things. Guy swimming in the air. <laughs> that was pro- that was my favorite panel. He's just swimming in the air, and he's the girl's like, oh, he's just dedicated. That's all. When you Ian, when you when you say it, it kind of reminds me of that episode of Rick and Morty where Jerry's in the um in the simulation, but the aliens have it running at like one percent, so like nothing works very well. <laughs> My man, you have to have, if you're still writing, you have to do a bit where like a mailman just like morphs into a tree or something. It's kind of like, I was approaching it like, what if Reboot was in the Matrix? (laughs) Oh my gosh. They don't realize they're digital beings, but they exist within their own world. And when things start to go wrong, it's like, all right, that's just part of how things are. Yeah, I have to say, I'm I'm, I'm very intrigued. I I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good, good book. Um, issues one and two out now okay. through, Candle, for, through through Amazon Kindle and Comixology. And is is that meant to be kind of a mini series or is it meant to be ongoing? Uh, I believe we have six issues written, and if it does well enough, there might be more. Okay, okay cool. Okay. Um, the other thing that you kind of soft announced at Heroes Con, and you, I think you might have full blown announced it at Denver. Was your project with Adam Bryce Thomas Drogoon? Drogoon. Drogoon. So you have to have a slight Russian accent. <laughs> Does it feature uh, Rocksteady? You no, know, it will not. Sadly, this is <laughs> this is the first fully me project that I'm putting out there. Okay. Um, we're hoping to launch it by the fall. I know Adam is busy with a lot of other projects. We're actually working together on another project that we're hoping to announce in August that's been in the works for a bit. Is this secret project number four? Yeah. This is secret project number four. Okay. Okay. Which is another comic book project, but very different than what Drogoon is going to be. Okay. So it's very exciting about what it can be, but I don't want to spill the beans on that just yet, or on any of it really, because I've been very, very tight-lipped on what Drogoon is about. And it was Adam who really pushed it, saying, look, I really want to get this out there. We need to start promoting it. I'm like, well, we don't have any promo material. It's like, I'll do something. Mm, okay. Said, okay. And then he whipped up that postcard. Yeah. Uh, the art of which is on BumbleKing.com. And he's like, yeah, I'll just do this quick. And it's like, you do that in a day. How? How? <laughs> is and it's freaking gorgeous. And he's incredibly talented. And I can't wait for folks to see what we've got going on. Because this, this, I'm in this for the long haul, guys. This, okay. this is planned out by the book it's awesome. it's a big big fantasy epic so is, 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 it, is it looking to be a um digital only or will you be looking for it to be um physically published uh it's going to be a web comic at first okay and then hopefully we'll have enough of a following that by the time we end we reach the end of book one we'll be able to publish it oh mm-hmm. awesome otherwise you know run a kickstarter to get some funding to get the actual dead tree edition printed but we'll <laughs> we'll see Baby steps. Okay, we got to get it out there first. Hmm. Is there anything you can you can tell us about the the plot at all, or or is that still mum? Really, really tight looked about it. Um, okay, cool. One of the ways I was able to pitch it at Denver that seemed to catch people's interest is think Tolkien in space. <laughs> I, so I'm already there. Okay. <laughs> it, so it's got a lot of high fantasy aspects, but it's also got a lot of Star Warsy sci-fi to it. Oh, that's awesome. And I specify science fantasy because science fiction is supposed to be 
at least somewhat grounded in actual science. Yeah, like Star Trek. You've got your high, your hard sci-fi and your light sci-fi, but you know, back when Star Wars was still farm boys with magic laser swords, and you know, we weren't with our metachlorians and all that nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> that was science fantasy. You know, you have space magic. And you don't really see a lot of media embrace that. Everyone tries to go at least semi-hard sci-fi nowadays. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of embrace all the potential of just this anything-goes fantasy science epic. Okay. So when when are you saying we might hear more about it again? Aiming to watch in the fall... Okay. Maybe by winter, hopefully before the end of the year. And we should we should uh, keep our eyes on BumbleKing.com and on your guys' Twitters? Absolutely. Okay. Because once this is out, oh, you're going to hear about it. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, we also wanted to, to talk about BumbleCast. Because you're, 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 um, recently you're putting a lot more into it. You've expanded into BumbleCast Gaming. Gaming. Um, you have Patreon, which has... Um, Opportunities through Patreon for Bumblecast. If we get fifty Patreons, you'll get a T Lobes remix of the theme tune. Yes. Yes. Oh, I want that to happen so bad. Because <laughs> I actually got to meet T Lopes at a show in Georgia last year. Very cool guy. So, you know, I messaged him out of the blue saying, Hey, this is completely random. If you're not busy could we commission you to do this? And he's like, yeah, it'd be about this much. It's like, all right, cool. Can't really justify that with the current patronage we have, but if we can mm. get to this point, it wouldn't take too big of a bite out of us to have that done. Yeah. So that's one of the incentive goals we have. Uh, we are actually on season three of a regular podcast, uh, well into season one of Bumblecast Gaming. Mm-hmm. We have a incentive every Friday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time, which is Bumblecast Gaming Live, where patrons get to watch me, Kyle, or both of us goof off with gaming. We've got something special planned because our, ep- our 50th episode is coming up uh, in August. And with that, we're going to announce a small expansion to the series and just keep growing as much as we can. Awesome. Okay. Bumblecast trip teasing. Got it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to subject the world to that. <laughs> How many Patreons? <laughs> If we get 1,000 patrons, I will not do that. Oh, <laughs> oh the, old, the old bad switch for I fell for that. Damn you. <laughs> oh, I, I think what uh, I, I know we have, I put a, um, a tweet out the, the other day, and we do have some fan questions in, but I think one of the last things we'd like to touch upon is just a, a magical little miniseries, uh, Sonic Mega Drive. Um, mm-hmm. I want to start just by saying thank you, thank you for yeah. for that. It is um, Mega Drive, the next level specifically, might be my favorite issue of the entire Archie series. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just it is some of the artwork. Uh, we met uh, Matt Herms at Too Many Games um, last month, and I I have I'm the proud owner of the um, the kind of final cutter page he he colored of the one where uh, Metal Sucker Punches Tails. And it's just I wanted I wanted the panel where Knuckles punches Metal because Knuckles' face just looks so feral in that moment. That's one of my favorite images ever drawn. But I'll I'll settle for just you know Metal just stabbing tails in the face for those punches. <laughs> Which I I, I, was, I was wondering the way it's drawn wouldn't Metal's claws just skewer tails in that regard? Well, think of it this way: 
Metal Sonic wants to surpass Sonic, so he wouldn't dirty himself on some lowly sidekick. <laughs> He's merely just swatting the bug out of the way. Ah. <laughs> but um, so I I know we've heard that it kind of um, it was I guess kind of like Genesis was. It was uh, made as a kind of um. Uh, kind of the, the 25th anniversary of, of the mm. franchise, but what what made it its own thing and not just kind of um, part of the continuity? Although I guess really Genesis of a hero took care of that in terms of the actual yeah. main book itself. Uh, I think it was Mega Drive was announced first, and it was potentially going to be a standalone unless it sold well, and it's the only Sonic book to get a second printing. So, yeah, it sold well. That's why I got a sequel. I I I. I oh. Uh, sure. Apparently, <laughs> uh, Jonathan. We went over this in previous episodes. Apparently, Jonathan has uh, con- contents Archie's it's, claim to that. It's the only modern Sonic issue I would say that has because in the in the nineties they would just print off printing after printing of things because that's what the industry was. Right. So this probably deserves it. A billion times more than those. Would you? But would I'm you, a stickler. And I'm would sorry. you, would, Jonathan? Would you contest? And this is the the first book to go to a second second printing due to actual sales versus just they just printed a, a bunch of them. I would say this is the first one that that deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> that deserves like this is like. Uh, because well, because some of them got like fifth printings. I think Mega Drive should get a fifth printing. <laughs> um, Archie should get on that. We need we need a third and a fourth before then. But we should get to that. Just go straight to fifth. It's fine. Yeah. Point B. <laughs> that we had that as a maybe it would be successful, and then Genesis of a Hero as the you know main book celebration, and then we just got to run wild with Mega Drive. Yeah. Hmm. So I mean, when when writing part one, because obviously if um, part one does not finish the story, so say when it, in the beginning when you were kind of thinking because it ends on a cliffhanger, were you were you even then already thinking you know three issues? Well, I guess really, also also well, one thing I want to ask is because Mega Drive it, it, it would end up being the length of four issues, just that two and three would kind of be like a size and a half. When when was that decision um, decided, and in the beginning, how long did you think you, you could make the story last? Well, I always plan way, way ahead. Like I said, I had Worlds Collide written for myself before the project <laughs> even became possible, because I'm insane like that. So with Mega Drive, I had already written out what I wanted to do with it, if we could go that far. I'm not sure at what point it changed from maybe to yes definitely and here's the format because that's decisions made above my head but i had the story in mind and it's like all right here's the page count you have to play with and it's like all right that's how i will format it okay okay i kind of wanted to to clarify i feel like it's not at all in continuity with the main book was that your intention or is it like uh you know, you could imply it to be, but none of that's going to cross over. It was meant to be a standalone classic adventure, but because of the nature of the classic adventures, it mm-hmm. is possible to fit it into the main continuity. Okay, so we could we could 
potentially see the Freedom Fighters in one of those zones in the future. Yeah. Okay. It's just I didn't want to bog down the cast with 11 billion characters. This is just meant to be a big celebration of the classic style. Oh. I did. I did love all four of the classic characters together, uh, classic main characters, I, I guess I should say, together, and how they interacted in, um, how they interacted while, like, moving around. So, I, I guess what I'm, I, I want to kind of want to ask is, because you've, you've said in the past that you were, you're thinking of this as a lost game. Now, gameplay-wise... Did you have, like, did you have different, um, what were you imagining? Like, was it a straight-up side-scroller, or was there something, something different there that you, you thought, oh, this would be cool if they could do this in a 2D Sonic game, that you were like, hey, Tyson, and, like, passed it on? Basically, I was writing the design doc for Sonic Mania before Sonic Mania came out. <laughs> When Sonic Mania came out, I'm like, they read my mind. This is what I wanted. Thank you. They um, stole my idea. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but basically my approach was, you know, if there was a Sonic 4 in the classic style, how could you build off of that? How could you incorporate Amy Rose as a helper character? And, mm. you know, what mm. would she do that Sonic and Tails, uh, that Knuckles and Tails could not? And, you know, what levels would be neat to play with? What badniks would be cool? What would be a cool boss fight for these levels? It was all really, here is the game design. Sega, please notice me, senpai, and make this. And if not you, then the fans out there, because the fan gaming community is incredible what they can render. And there's already some sprites. Yeah, like Somebody did the, uh, the Wheel of Death from uh, Cascade Zone. I, I love... I, um, I love the bosses. I love, um, I really I love, want to fight a snowman. I really want to fight a snowman. Um, <laughs> burger time, Robotnik. <laughs> love burger time, Robotnik. Um, even the, 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 the take on, um, the new take on kind of the, the drilling thing, uh, the drilling Robotnik where it's now it's boring. Not that it's boring. Boring is, <laughs> Into the ground. It's tunneling. Sort of. <laughs> tunneling. The tunneling uh, aspect of it, and then using uh, using harder rocks to beat it up. Like I like I I just really appreciate that there was so much um, diversity in all of that. Essentially, in what we're trying to say is that we're grateful that you put more thought mm-hmm. and effort into designing a Sonic game than the designers for Sonic Four did. I'm just going to smile and nod. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Ian, on, on a quick look, there's actually something I wanted I wanted to ask you. And again, if you can't answer this, I'll I'll remove this. But like, so you, you've, you've come out a few times and mentioned stuff like um, this pleasure at certain games like Heroes. I mean, do you, like, has, do you ever worry about or do, has there ever been any feedback? Because you're working on an officially licensed product. <laughs> that like, if you voice this pleasure with something that's, you know, an official Sonic product that, you know, Sega might be like, please don't do that. <laughs> um, it's something to keep in mind, because like I said before, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds. Yeah. Mm. I think that 
what I have said when I have said it is fairly measured. Like, I'm not saying that Heroes is irredeemable. It brought back the Chaotix. Yeah. Yep. It has a phenomenal <laughs> soundtrack. Yep. The level concepts are really inventive, and I wish we would see more of that. Mm. I just thought the controls were garbage. Yeah. So, I think as long as I'm not foaming at the mouth, rabbit, this is awful, Sega doesn't know what they're doing, nah, 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 please don't take this out of context, I need the work. <laughs> um, and, you know, if my opinion on Sonic Heroes was really re- talked about more well after the game had yeah. come and yeah. gone and passed, so... I'm not, if Mania comes out and it turns out that they pulled the wool over our eyes and it's actually not the greatest thing to ever be made, because it will be! <laughs> I'm not going to come out online with a two-hour-long diatribe on YouTube mm-hmm. denouncing Sonic Team and their heresy, because that's just stupid. Well, I but, guess that... Know, oh. as, I think we're still entitled to our opinions as long as we're not you know, actively trying to diminish the brand. Well, I also think because the, the official... Sonic account has on multiple times trashed 06. I think that's like the one the one yeah. acceptable target in the franchise, you know. They're also in-house Sega. I'm freelance. So there's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> well, and I, I guess you uh, kind of answered it already. But I, I was kind of curious, since this is a really... I feel like this is a really good year for Sonic video games, because we're getting two. Um... Are you looking forward to one over the other, either Mania or Forces? I, I think I, I, I'm going to assume. I'm going to assume, assume Mania. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mania. I am just giddy to play. <laughs> Forces, I'm looking forward to because it looks interesting. The gameplay style of the Avatar character looks kind of neat. Mm. Are you? Uh, gonna, are but you... Mania is fills me with a kind of childlike excitement that is very hard <laughs> to describe. And the little I've gotten to play at certain demo machines just feels like a Genesis game. It's taken me back to the 90s. It's not an approximation. This feels like the next Sonic game. And that's just, it feels so good. Which, you know, I, I'm honest with you, um, Ian, kind of reading Mega Drive kind of gave me that same feeling. Oh, yeah. Well, good. That was what it was meant to do. I think what we all want to know here is... What animal is going to be your avatar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly having difficulty choosing. Are you? Why is it bear? <laughs> <laughs> why are you going to try and make an Antoine? Um, not only because he's the greatest character, but... <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> now I overstepped my bounds there. <laughs> And on Twitter, I've already said that I was going to grab a bear and name it Scarborough. Ah! <laughs> so I'm playing a Scarborough bear. <laughs> I grab just... some rings and beat it in time. <laughs> but uh, the first triple jump is really tempting. Mm, and triple jump is what I want. To recreate Scourge would be kind of fun. <laughs> and, 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 and... and so this is what I love about the reaction to the Avatar character, is that you had a small handful of people turn up their nose going, oh, well, they finally gave an end to that demand, and everyone else is going, oh, man, I get to bring back this old childhood favorite and put it in the game. How cool is that? It's like, there you go. Sonic is fun. That's all you need. <laughs> oh. 
which Ian, um, we've been we've been going over almost two hours now. So um, I, I think if it's okay with you, we'll just wrap up with some of the um, the fan questions we we got from Twitter and Facebook. Sure. Thank you. So um, we have, you know, I'll say it made me laugh, but this is just a question I already asked you on, on Bumblecast from a uh, Frogman. On the itchy and scratchy cedar on, is there a way to get out of the dungeon about using the wizard's key? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, some so some of these old ones that kind of came up. Um, but uh, just because people tweeted them out, I'll read them out again. We have one from Eduardo uh, Quesada. Is there anything you've written that was so weird you thought it wasn't going to get approved, but it did? Yes, actually. We were gearing up for one of the milestones in the pre-reboot comic. And I had five separate pitches on what I wanted to do. And the fifth one was a joke one meant to just kind of pad it out and make the other ones look better. That turned out into Iron Dominion. <laughs> the entire Monkey Con thing, that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> really? It, it was such a bad idea, I figured it would make everything else look better and get it approved easier. I thought I thought Iron Dominion was fun. I liked it. it I, well, I was backed into a corner. I had to make it work now. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, we're doing this. I'm like, really? But what about these things? Eh. Save them for another one. It's like, oh crap. Okay. Um. 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 How about this? What does that? Oh. What does the? What does that do as a writer when when the uh, storyline you come up just because it's so terrible was chosen over the ones you actually think of? Frightening, humbling, and then a little exciting because it's like, all right, now I have a challenge. <laughs> we have um, bit slash Kevin says, uh, "Did you have any Sonic OCs when you were younger? And if so, what were they like?" Yes, because we all did. I and never did. I Don't lock me in reviewing. I never I, did that. I had to be a special, unique snowflake, so I cracked open an encyclopedia and looked up for the weirdest critter I could find <laughs> and came up with the Pato, which is a slow loris prosimian from the Congo. It's really a neat critter. Look it up mm. at some point. But uh, I picked that because I didn't want to have yet another rabbit fox echidna. And he had special powers and all this hoopla and whatnot, but I wanted him to be, you know, as special and unique as he was. He just couldn't quite match to Sonic. Because Sonic's the hero. Sonic's the best. Oh. And I don't want to be like all those other fan fiction writers who make their character better than Sonic. And, oh, I was very full of myself at 14. But who wasn't? <laughs> we have um, Arcane Third asks, what are some major things to remember when writing dialogue? Uh Remember, keep in mind how much space you have on the page. I'm assuming for comics. We're going to go into that assumption and not just dialogue in general. Sure. <laughs> just uh, in real with, life, walking around. <laughs> <laughs> with comics, you need to make sure that you are not flooding the page with text. I'm kind of guilty of that. It's something that I work against. Mm. Um, just because not only do you have the words on the page, but you have the balloons who ha they have to have a certain positioning, which take up a certain amount of space. And the artist has to take that into account when spacing out the panels. And if you've got a heavy panel count, like six or seven panels, that's a lot of action to squeeze into a small amount of space. And then if you have a lot of text, 
you're just going to lose all the art underneath all the balloons. Yeah. Another thing is, as you're writing it out, try to read it back to yourself. Perform your own little one-person radio drama of it. Because if you're having a hard time emoting the line or reading the line or it gets if you lose track of what the character is saying as you're reading it it doesn't sound natural and therefore it will not be read naturally off the page at the same time you have to keep in mind that this is a silent medium so all the inflection and nuance that you have with regular speaking has to be conveyed in the way that the text is formatted and the way that the characters are speaking. So that has to be in the script as well. Awesome. Um, we have a question from Jordy uh, Rain Cloud Sword. He has emojis in his name. So that's how, no, that's how I'm going to read it. Says, was there a learning curve to writing for the characters or did it come naturally? And then also, were some characters harder to write than others? I've grown up with Sonic for so long, it felt fairly natural. I think the learning curve was more getting used to formatting of the script and keeping the pacing and learning how to convey an emotion or a moment from panel to panel and from page to page. Uh, I think the hardest characters to write for are the funny ones because people expect them to be funny, and if they're not, they will let you know very quickly. So does that mean Bean's the hardest character to write? Easily. He is my pride and joy. He is my nightmare. Because everyone expects him to be so random goofy, and if I tell a joke with him and it falls flat, oh, it, it's it's very hard to ignore. Mm. <laughs> I think my, my still my favorite Bean joke is still doing, I think it's doing Champions when he's fighting Knack, and like he's just kind of <laughs> jumping around, and he kind of... Stamps in Knack's face, does like a somersault, and like Chuck says, Wait a minute, there's no judges here. That plumber lied to me. <laughs> I think that's like my favorite being, which I'm going to assume, and I hope that's a reference to the uh, Olympic Games. Absolutely. Of course. And again, that joke just made me just the way that plumber lied to me. Like, I love that. Oh, Bean is a joy, thanks to you, sir. Thank you very much. So we have um, Dusty Benjamin asks, what is your favorite episode of a Sonic cartoon? Okay, so so as not to play favorites, we're going to go by each episode, or each series. <laughs> Adventures <laughs> of the one where Tails thinks he gets his parents back, but they're actually evil robots, and Sonic is able to figure it out because they call him Tails and not Miles. Tails' is new home. Great episode. Uh, Great episode. Uh... From Sat AM, probably go with either the one that introduces Nagus or part two of Blast of the Past. Hmm. Sonic X, season one, episode 20 something, where they go on a cruise ship and Sonic is going crazy because he's yes. surrounded by water. <laughs> Bokun tricks Ella into thinking that he's sad and then blows her up, so she steals the X Tornado. <laughs> And, like, Kamikaze crashes into whatever Eggman ship was at the time. Oh, that was comic gold. <laughs> um, Sonic Underground never happened. <laughs> Sonic Boom, since I would be a real jerk to claim my own episode, I think the one that I mentioned earlier where they're going to find the power cell mm. in the ancient ruins, mm. that one 
just had me in stitches. That was really solidly done. And and which which half of the OVA did Ian do you prefer? Oh shoot, my monkeys. Um, <laughs> honestly, can't pick because I love the opening sequences presentation of the world. Yeah. But I love the suit, the Sonic Metal Sonic duel. So can't pick. Part two has strange, isn't it? It's got a win for that for me. <laughs> um, this is this is actually a funny question based on what we were just talking about. Uh, Squeaky Boots asks, "What would happen if Bean and Sticks met?" I almost said we covered that in an off panel. That was Marine. Yeah. So I guess Sticks would convince Bean of whatever crazy conspiracy she latched onto that minute. And Bean's solution would be to blow it all up, and she would not argue. <laughs> um, uh, Halo Essence one 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 says, and this question will probably, I think, just most likely be covered in Lost Hedgehog Tales. But he asks, uh, "What was your plan for restoring Mecha Sally before the comics got rebooted?" Uh, I will be covering that in Lost Hedgehog Tales. I will say that I telegraphed that well in advance how she would have been restored has been established in the story beforehand oh i think i get it oh do you want to elaborate Jonathan? does it have something to do with nogus if he's correct say nothing you're correct right i was right i love doing this with interviews it's great i feel so smart Um, uh, we should just interview nobody and say to somebody, uh, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, uh, am I I the coolest person ever? Say nothing if it's yes. Well, I I think it's it's all based on one of my favorite Simpsons gags. It's like, God, I've got you to pray of cookies and some milk. If if, if everything's going to stay exactly the same, say no meaning. If you'd like me to eat the cookies for you, say nothing. I will be done. <laughs> um, Stardust Chaos asks, um, has Sega ever asked you to write a Sonic game? If they had, I would be under a non-disclosure agreement and would not be able to answer that until said game was out. To date, I have not written an entire Sega game, so no. Your, uh, Ian, your, your use of the word entire there has, has me curious. Is, is there portions of a Sonic game you've written? If I had written any component of any Sonic game at any point, I would not be at liberty to talk about it until said game was out or in, I was cleared to talk about it. Okay. So is, is that your way of saying, Ian, that you wrote Sonic Chronicles? I'm so sorry. <laughs> 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 I loved it. It's really... Oh... Maybe do the sound effects myself with a couple of spoons and a wooden board. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, I think the last question we have it's from uh, uh, this is this is it's from Facebook, so I won't read the person's full name, but it's from a gentleman called Patrick, and he asks, um, when the Archistomic comics uh, continue, would you have Honey have her own story arc in Sonic Universe, perhaps based on a uh, Fighting Vipers storyline? not be opposed to honey getting her own arc probably would not base it too heavily off of fighting vipers mm. because that starts to tread into the territory of other franchises yeah uh the fact that we had a dolphin named echo 
was already really dancing on the line. The fact that she is a sub-sub character and it's spelled with an H instead of two C's is really about as far as we can go. Okay. Um, I, and I think that handles everything. I want to thank you so much for uh, spending over two hours with, with us three nerds. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we want to point everyone uh, towards your way, your online handle and uh, the Bumblecast, sir. So if you want to just uh, let people know the, the best ways to track you down, both, well, both online you, and IRL. If you have more questions, we do have a Q&A session at the end of every Bumblecast. Patrons get bumped to the head of the line if they buy priority in the Q&A. Everyone else is just added to the list and we get to you in time. That's at patreon.com backslash Bumblecast. Uh, my portfolio and pretty much everything I have ever done and will be working on is at BumbleKing.com. That's Bumble like the bee, King like the reigning monarch. And if you want to see whatever I'm typing at any given hour of the day, I'm on Twitter at AnFlynnBKC. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So, again, um, thank you so much. Is there anything you would, um, anything you would, uh, any kind of um, projects currently you would like to plug? Uh, aside from the Bumblecast and Bumblecast Gaming, Keep your eye out for news on Drogoon, and we should have news of Secret Project Number Four. Yay! Hopefully in August, if everything goes according to plan. There are a number of other things that I'm working on that are currently listed as secret projects on BumbleKing.com. As soon as I can talk about them, you better believe I will. Right, awesome! I think uh, there's nothing else to do but just to let everyone know that that the more the more you bug in about when the Sonic book is gonna come back, the quicker it will come back. Hashtag save our Sonic. <laughs> I came on your show <laughs> and you do this to me. You do this to me. I answer your questions. I do a big voice. I do a very insulting, vaguely Italian accent. That you know. <laughs> what more do you want? Huh? 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 Actually, you... there was there was there was there was one question I wanted to save to the last because it's kind of um. It, it's kind of a, a slight nitpick, and I did tweet it out, but you didn't respond to it. Ian, I, I have Umbridge in, in Worlds in Worlds Collide. How, how would Shadow lose the base of Metal Sonic? I say no good, sir. Arrogance. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you know, he's zipping around, dodging bases, rapid fire, going, hmm, you can't touch me. I'm the ultimate life form. And then Trouble comes out of nowhere and bites his butt. <laughs> And then while he's all indignant over that fact, Metal Sonic comes and clocks him, and while he's kind of reeling from that, he gets shot by a base. Bada bing. We need we need more we need more battle books based in the Worlds Collide universe now. We need, we need more books. Yes, yeah, we do. Oh books. yeah, we need a lot more. Stop. All day, a lot more books. All artists churning out Sonic books. More, more, more. I would say we need uh, we need audio books uh, <laughs> transcribed by uh, Ian Flynn. <laughs> Yeah, start start with Sonic Boom, just so you can read out all the onomatopoeia. That, that that was one of my favorite gags in the book. That every sound effect was just like kaboom, kush smash, like that. That was a that was a, a lot of my favorite gags. That was a running gag just to do something goofy. It really ticked some people off, so I started doing it out of spite. <laughs> oh, I loved that. I thought it was hilarious. That book. Oh, that book amazing. was amazing. I actually went and reread all eight issues of that again this morning. That book was damn fun. Oh yeah, damn fun. Oh, rip. Thank you, Ian. I, I, I hope that you write C uh, Sonic for another thousand years, and then Mega Man for another thousand years. 
And then please share your secret to immortality with us as well. Yes. <laughs> I'll brush Jonathan. Preferably before the thousand years, I'm I'll brush, if, I, if I had the change between one of the, uh, the books or the immortality, I might have to start with the immortality. Well, I wasn't even bringing up the immortality. <laughs> I thought it was, I didn't think it was something you could pass on. <laughs> We're gonna get um thank thank you so much, sir. And again, we can't wait for uh, more Sonic and Mega Man books. So just really any books in general from you, um, Ian. Yeah. Thanks again. Really excited for Dragoon. Mm-hmm. Really excited. And and if 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 there is a god, we will get Sonic Mega Drive uh, three overdrive, overdrive at some point before I die. Here's hoping because yeah, it was going to be fun. <laughs> uh. Thank you so much, good sir. Thank you. Thank you. Prove you're smarter than a robot. Subscribe and leave a five-star review for this and other FTCR shows on Apple Podcasts. You boob. (laughs) 